BFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. Welcome into the program. I am Peter Sampson. He's Stephen Vaughn. This is the best of the bald faced truth, a Friday edition of the program. It's been a fantastic week putting all of these together for you. And of course, we have an excellent show today. Final show before Christmas. Later in the program, we got to bring you some Bill Shawnley. I love doing this every year. The Shawns reading the Polar Express. Shawnley reading the night before Christmas. You know how we do. If you're a regular listener of, the, of uh, this program, you know that. We're going to give you that every Christmas season. Today is the day. Lots of other great stuff on the program today. Bill Moose, two-part conversation from July, talking about USC and UCLA, the future of the Pac-12. Jonathan Smith, just a few weeks ago, on being named Pac-12 Co-Coach of the Year, talking recruiting, prepping for the Vegas Bowl, where they crushed Florida 30-3. to uh, Kalen DeBoer talking, uh, ended up being Pac 12 co coach of the year. This is him on Pac 12 Media Day back in July. We'll have that conversation. We'll have Dan Lanning's Bald Face Truth debut as Oregon head coach. That takes us back to July 19th. Uh, if you missed it, this was very recent. We'll, uh, we'll, uh, reset when Steven became a wise man. I remember that. I was here for that. And Steven, you, are a very wise man. I enjoyed a lot of those answers you gave to our questions. Thank you. Yeah, I. Uh, you know, that's the thing about me is I'm gonna have a take on everything. You ask me a question, I'll give you a take, and I, you know, I hundred percent of I mean what I say. So uh, that, I think it's good about it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to resetting <laughs> that definitely. But we're gonna start today's best of the bald face truth. We're gonna go to 2021. December 7th. So just over a year ago, this was a huge day. And if you recall. The day Mario Cristobal left Oregon for Miami, he called this very show and uh, spoke to John. We start off with that. If you remember all that chaos, Mario Cristobal leaving, goes to Miami. Uh, It's just about five, six weeks later. Dan Lanning comes in, takes the helm. Of course, uh, we had him on this show as well right when that happened. But first off. Mario Cristobal calling in to the bald-faced truth the day he leaves Oregon for Miami. It's December 7th, 2021. We bring it to you now on the best of the bald-faced truth. It's a, I think it's a great opportunity for an outgoing coach who has a new opportunity in front of him to kind of speak to the fan base and talk about his memories and you know what it was about for him. And uh, Mario Cristobal is joining us now. How are you, man? Well, you know, obviously very... Uh... Very difficult uh, 24, 36 hours. But, um, you know, as uh, running around trying to get things situated and organized, just wanted to take the opportunity to just thank everybody because um, it was the best professional and personal experience of my life for my kids, for myself. Very, very um, just warm, loving people that uh, accepted us. And we dove in 100 miles per hour and 100%. And, and you know, we feel very proud of these players, these people. I mean, the, uh, the opportunity to team up with, with Phil Knight, with Rob Mullins, best mentors I've ever had. And, you know, upon arrival, being 4-8 and, and being able to leave and, 
and say, you know what, there's a couple of Pac-12 championships in there, there's a Rose Bowl championship in there, there's a top five finish in there, and, and the best, the most talented players are young on the roster. It's um, The future is super bright and um, certainly painful to leave. Um, very difficult, very thankful. Um, I get it. I get the profession. I get the, the backlash that comes with a departure. But um, it's, uh, it's difficult. I'm going to go coach where I played. And um, I just, nothing but gratitude, nothing but well wishes, just a very thankful heart, and uh, wishes everybody the best. Yeah, and I think, you know, you, you've mentioned the 4-8. and eight. You guys come in, you come in as an assistant coach, you're in the wake of a lot of chaos. I think people were worried about the stability of the program, and now you leave it with, it's a 10-win season, and, every, you know, people are still belly aching because the expectations were so high. And I think you guys got to be proud of that as a staff. Um, you know, your mom, your family, the cousins your kids will have in South Florida, I think the vast majority of people understand it. From a family standpoint, your family has to be really excited. Well, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's uh, like it's okay for people not to understand. And, and it's okay for people to be upset, and it's okay for people to be happy. I don't, I don't judge. I just, when granted an opportunity like I have for the past five years, it's just 100% in, all in, every ounce. And you can look in the mirror at night when you do something like that. And it, it's hard. It's, it's, it's unexplainable. You can't put it in words, the difficulty of moments like this. Mm-hmm. And players and coaches, we are in a profession that is as wild and as crazy, as untimely as you could ever imagine because there is no structure as it relates to moves, both players and coaches. So it's... Um, you always hope and pray that you surround yourself with great people and you're riding with them as hard as you can and as long as you can and are grateful for the memories and the opportunities and you just keep going. And um, so, again, man, just grateful beyond belief. Of, you know, I'm glad. Uh, I appreciate you giving me this opportunity just to express gratitude because um, it's just forever. I mean, yeah. endless, endless gratitude, man. Well, it's been fun. I, I loved having you on the show. Um I, I said when you were hired you were going to get to the playoff. You, you flirted around with it. Does, is that going to stick with you? Are you going to look back and go, man, that is the one thing? Or what sticks with you as you look back? Well, I mean, you know, we were right there on the cusp. You know, you love being 3-0 against Washington. You love being undefeated um, against USC. Had the chance to play UCLA three times, undefeated against them as well. And, you know, our, our record in the Pac-12 and overall over the past four years is the best of all the Pac-12 teams. A wide margin, you know. So, And the best players and the most talented players are returning and are freshmen and sophomore. So I think everyone's got to feel real good that the future is really, really set up well for whoever has the honor and the opportunity to come on in and coach those guys. Advice you would give to Oregon uh, as you look back because obviously you're going on to Miami you've got challenges in front of you uh, but what advice do you give uh, if we're doing an exit interview here for the Oregon program hey Doug same advice that my dad would give me you just go 100 miles per hour 100% with everything you have and appreciate the absolute just the people that surround the place the professionalism the administration the fans it's it's just a very unique place as special as it gets been the best experience of my professional career and personally as well 
because my kids were were just they just they love it and will always love it and so I uh, I would say understand the blessing that you have and work hard as hard as you can to be a great blessing to all those around you. Recruiting, uh, you know, you did it well. Uh, you did it like nobody else had done it at Oregon. Did you find that being in Eugene was a detriment, being in the Pac-12 was a detriment, or, or are those just excuses that coaches got to overcome? I don't, I don't know what other coaches do or say. I just know that there's three top ten classes sitting right there on the roster, and they're all puppies, okay? They're all young guys. Like, their best football is over the next two and three years. It's, it's revved up and ready to go. Mario Cristobal, uh, you know, I was talking to people who were in your circle, and they were saying this was a difficult decision for you. What? How difficult was it? You know, and I don't. And again, I don't think anybody blames you for going home. I don't. Well, I mean, I really don't have a circle. Um, I just, I just kind of work, you know. And uh, and I, whenever I get to see the kids in the life, I do. So uh, it's 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 the most grueling, uh, difficult, painful decision. That um, that is, and I'm glad it is. I would be disappointed in myself if it wasn't. And if it wasn't that way, then it wasn't real. Every part about this thing was real. Every ounce of investment. So let it hurt. Let it be painful. Uh, at the same time, happy for those and for myself going forward. And uh, this will be always huge, huge fan cheering from afar, man. Always. I appreciate you, man. Yeah. And before I cut you loose, the. Um you know, is there anything Oregon could have done, or does it just become, I, hey, this is the one job? No, I don't think. I don't even get into that because now it's you're just forward thinking and you just move forward. You know, this was, uh, I mean, this is as unexpected of a thing as you can imagine. As I think everyone will tell you, I, I never saw any change in my life for the next several, several years. And in this profession, I guess you should never say never because things happen. So, but, um, you know, people understand they're really happy for us. Uh, they understand how difficult it was. And they also understand that, you know, there have been great relationships and friendships formed. And because of that, those if they're real, you sustain those, no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing. So I certainly expect to have uh, several friends and family members on the West Coast. All right. I know it's emotional uh, when you are building and you're relentless in your approach at Oregon. You now face a rebuild at Miami where you're going to have to duplicate what you just did at Oregon. How do you psychologically get up for that, or you know, is that just the, the world you live in? I, I missed you for a good chunk there because my phone went out. Yeah. So I didn't, I didn't hear what you had asked. Basically, look, you took over that Oregon program, and we talk about 4-8 and eight before you arrived, and now two Pac-12 championships. You're in a title game on Friday night, last Friday night, and now you go to Miami, you, you will, you'll be asked to duplicate that. Like, you know, it, and it's grueling. Psychologically, how do you deal with approaching that task at Miami? Well, I, I think it's grueling if it's a job. This has never been a job. This has always been a vocation. And the members on our staff have always been about this being a vocation. And that's the case. You're never truly working. You're just going. And so that's just the way I operate. I, you know, I've been blessed to just have a family that just raised me that way, and that's just the way we roll. We've enjoyed having you on the show. I appreciate you. I, 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 those kids in the hallway in the Austin Stadium press box, I think we'll see them on a college football field someday, and I'll go, I remember those little guys. 
Um, you know, excited for you in, in the next chapter, and I'm interested to see what Oregon does here. But, Coach, I appreciate you popping on. Nobody does this. It says a lot about you. Well, I appreciate you having me. I appreciate everyone and anything Oregon. And um, God bless, man. Go go crush it. Keep being champions and take it to an All right. Mario Cristobal, I'm going to cut you loose. Uh, there he is. That's Mario Cristobal on the day. He leaves Oregon for Miami. That was December 7th of 2021. Uh, He does, Stephen, deserve credit for popping on that day. I mean, he was certainly, uh, there was kind of a maybe a solemnity that uh, he probably wasn't feeling. It's okay to be excited to go after your dream job, but he deserves props for coming on and saying goodbye. Yeah, no, I mean, that's the thing. Like, he he went on, he faced the music, because I know Duck fans were not happy at that moment. Um, but you know, he faced the music, but he, you know, he, he did it for his dream job. Like, I think it's understandable what he did. Um, you know, I did think it's funny that he has to, you know, act like he wasn't happy. Like in the interview, you know, has a somber tone when it's like, you know, he's very excited to go back home, but you know, you got to give him credit for coming out onto the show and talking about it and just giving his point of view and just hoping that duck fans understand now, you know, Miami struggles this year. Peter, do you think he's going to have the same success? He had an Oregon at Miami. I mean, that's the question. I know. Look, I know they're recruiting pretty well, especially considering how. Uh, how can we put this? Not good. They were right, this year. Right, yeah. Still had a solid recruiting class. Now again, you got to see how that actually shakes out. I think Miami's going to be all right, but it's going to be a little bit of a process. I agree. Yeah, and you know, he even made the point that he's leaving the cupboard full at Oregon, which he did. And Dan Landing yep. ran with that this year. Um, you know, what, 10 and 2 this season. So mm-hmm. nice season out of him. So, you know, the future is definitely bright still in Oregon, and a lot of credit still goes to Mario Cristobal. Yeah. And you mentioned Dan Lanning. Uh, so coming up on the other side, the, on the uh, best of the bald face truth, let's hear Dan Lanning's BFT debut. So just about six weeks after the conversation we just heard with Mario Cristobal, Dan Lanning has been hired. We go, wow. Oh, the D coordinator at Georgia. Okay. We get him on the show pretty immediately. That's January 19th of this year. We'll hear his debut on this show next. This is the best of the Bald Face Truth. You're listening to the best of the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Welcome back in. I'm Peter Sampson. He's Stephen Vaughn. This is the best of the Bald Face Truth. Made it into the studio on a very cold, very slippery Friday afternoon. It's great to be with you. Uh, we just heard from Mario Cristobal calling into the BFT on the day he left Oregon for Miami. That was uh, December 7th of last year. Flash forward about six weeks, January 19th of this year. Dan Lanning has been named head coach at Oregon. And what does he do to celebrate? Well, he calls this program. So now we bring you Dan Lanning's BFT debut as Oregon head coach, January 19th, 2022. Appreciate the statewide audience listening in Eugene and Roseburg, Klamath Falls, Salem. Of course, uh, the listeners in Portland and in southern Washington. Dan Lanning, University of Oregon head football coach, making his debut appearance on this show. You're going to get to hear him uh, unfiltered and live. Dan Lanning, welcome. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Has it has life settled down? Like, have you have you settled into a groove yet, or are you still kind of out of a suitcase uh, figuring it out? <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, I'm out of a suitcase right now. We're lucky enough to have um, some time that we get to 
get on the road here and recruit here before it goes to a dead period again. So um, we're trying to take advantage of every single day we get. So, so out here uh, flying from state to state, going from high school to high school and seeing a lot of prospects right now. How's that going? When you walk in the door, uh, you walk in now in an Oregon shirt or Oregon gear, um, you know, what walks in the room with you as you talk to kids? I just have a tremendous, you know, sense of pride, you know, to represent this university. I, it's one of the – I think I've said it before, but this is one of the premier brands in college football. And to get to, to walk in and represent this school is, uh, you know, a tremendous honor. And I'll say this, you know, just walking into schools, it's, it's well represented, but it's also really well received, um, which is exciting the portal the transfer portal we've been talking about it for months on this show and you know is it good is it bad do they need to have rules how has that changed sort of the the job of a coach right now is you know you're out recruiting you're talking to people but you also have kids going into the portal coming out of the portal how, how has that changed it uh it's hard to put into words how much it's changed i mean at, at the end of the day you know I, I feel really strongly that we have to be successful based on the players that we have on our team um and you have to do a great job building those relationships which is a tremendous challenge, you know, getting here early. But I'll say this, I've been so impressed with our kids. We've got wonderful kids here um, that are really talented players but just as special as men. And our, our coaching staff's done a really good job of connecting with these guys and um, thrilled about the ones that are excited to be here and uh, going to continue to work those relationships as we move forward. I want to go back to William Jewell College in Missouri. You're there, you're playing linebacker. Uh, what did you want to be when you grew up, even at that time? Oh, I've always known I want to be a coach and a teacher. You know, I was I was in seventh grade. Like I remember distinctly, I had a phenomenal PE teacher named Ken Simmons, um, and that was like my favorite class every day. You know, that that's where I was wanted to go. Um, and he just, you know, he kind of instilled a sense of pride in what it means to be a coach for me. And you know, going into college, I knew early on I wanted to be a coach, coach football, and be a teacher. So I was an elementary PE teacher for that first job, and. I guess I've kind of always had clear direction of what I wanted from that standpoint. Hell, if you can do elementary PE, you can do almost anything. Like, think of the respect. Like, you've got to have it. I know you got three kids. I've got three kids. The respect you have for teachers right now, you know, in the last couple of years especially, it's incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, both my parents were teachers. Um, you know, so that's one, you know, one thing that was brought home to me every single day. But there was probably nothing more fun than, than being the uh, elementary PE teacher and rolling into a cafeteria uh, of an elementary school, man, you feel like you're you're uh, King Kong doing that. So it's a special feeling, a lot of fun in my life doing that. Your wife Sophia, your three kids. I saw the pictures of you know the family getting off the plane. That's when it really was humanized for me. Uh, this is a family move. How are the kids doing with you know the uh, the possibility of new schools on the horizon and uh, a move across the country? My my crew are they're a bunch of warriors. I'm just so proud of them. Um, last night I called my son Caden. I don't know exactly what time it was. They're in they're still in Georgia right now doing some school stuff while we work on this recruiting class. And then as soon as um, you know we're done with recruiting, we'll get them out here. But I called him last night, and I realized afterwards that's three hours earlier over there. He was already in bed, but he woke up and answered. And then this morning he called me back at 4:30. So it was. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. They're, they're doing a great job. Um, Sophia's my champion. She's running running the show back home right now, but they can't wait to get out here. They're really excited. Dan Lanning with us, Oregon's football coach. Um, you know, How do you know you're ready? Uh, I, I, people talk about your age. I brought up your age. I think you're the first coach at Oregon that's younger than me that I've covered in 20 years, and uh, this is all new for me. But how did you know, you know when Oregon comes calling, of course you're not going to say no, but 
How do you know internally, hey, I'm ready for this? You know, I think ultimately, John, I, always, I, I, I still talk about quality of experience. And I think that anybody, you know, that's had the opportunity, I've worn every hat, you know, in a, in a college program from being a graduate assistant, a quality control guy. I've worked in the recruiting department. I've coached a lot of different positions on each side of the ball. And then every step for me along the way, I kind of prepared myself as if I was the, the next ring up. You know, if when I was a graduate assistant, I was preparing to be a full-time coach. When I was a full-time coach, I was preparing to be a coordinator. And um, I've just kind of always taken that approach. And as a coordinator, I'm, I was preparing to be a head coach. And I wasn't in a sprint to become one. Um, I was in a sprint to become, you know, one at the right spot. And this just, the stars aligned. Um, I feel really confident based on the blueprint and the places I've been that it works. And I know we'll put our twist on it. We'll do things differently here because we have to be us. But uh, I'm excited to see where it goes. We hear coaches talk about identity. How do you want to play? What identity do you want to have? Um, do you start off by saying, hey, let's speak it out loud. This is the identity we want to have. Or do you figure that out as kids start to come into camp? You know, how do you form an identity? Well, I think we just got to continue to get to know our players better first. You know, I think a lot of people are about words and not actions, and I think we want to be the opposite. Um, our focus right now as a staff has been truly on building that connection with our with our guys. You know, first football meeting, we didn't we didn't put up a single play on the board. We didn't uh, spend any time talking X's and O's. We we started talking about our why. You know, what makes each one of us tick, um, and I think that's what what's really important. But it's it's one thing to be talking about that now. It's another thing if. Six months from now, that's still our fuel and what's driving us. Do you watch uh, film of your guys, or do you get to know them better in the spring? How do you sort of evaluate and get to know your guys? You just got to – every moment you can, you, you spend it around them. So, you know, we, I was out on the road, um, you know, the other night, several flights, um, and, and we had our first team meeting. Our guys have been on a discretionary week where they've had some time off. But it was important for me to fly back, and then we had a team dinner right afterwards. So every moment you can spend with them is really important. I've certainly watched some film of our guys and, and been able to evaluate some of them, but I'm also coming in with no preconceived notions about who they are or what they are. I want, I want to find that out myself when we hit the spring. Bo Nix, uh, I don't know if you can talk about this, but in the portal now apparently coming to Oregon, um, if you can speak about him and the other quarterbacks, uh, how does that room look to you right now? I'm really excited about the talent we have in there. You know, Bo is a guy, obviously, I got to go against firsthand. Um, you know, in my time at, at Georgia, he's an ultimate competitor. Um, but th there's other guys in that room that are I'm really, really excited about, you know, whether it be Ty or Butterfield. These guys are, are really tremendous players. Um, and I'm excited to see that competition unfold. And I think every one of them are really excited as well to go out there and compete, you know, every day and, and uh, see how it plays out. It's interesting because I put myself kind of in your shoes. There's a lot of sociology and psychology to the job you're doing in addition to the X's and O's. And, you know, you've got to pick a quarterback, but you also have to convince those other young guys that it's worth sticking around and developing. And I kind of wonder about that position. How do you sort of see the development of quarterbacks in today's game with the portal? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I think players appreciate what they see. And, uh, you know, I, I, I prided myself when we hired our coaches on hiring teachers and developers of relationships and, um, and, and teachers and developers of the game. So I think they'll see it firsthand. And, uh, you know, the guys that we're able to piece together, their, their resumes speak for themselves. Um, but I think the, the quarterbacks share that vision. These guys we have coming in share that vision. And certainly the, the transfer portal has changed a little bit of everything. Um, in college football, and I think it's going to continue to change the dynamic. But 
the piece, again, that's so important to me is the relationships with the guys that are currently on our team as we go through that. Your story, and you've obviously mentioned Sophia and, you know, the photos of your family I mentioned earlier getting off the plane. But while you were at Memphis, your wife was diagnosed with cancer. She underwent chemotherapy treatments. She's cancer-free. What did you learn from her beating cancer? That there's a lot of things. <laughs> there's a lot of things in life that are more important than football. That's the first thing I learned. Um, you know that helped reprioritize my life and and um, you know really the whole dynamic of our family um, where I was able to put my wife and my kids first and and that hasn't limited my success as a football coach. You know you can be a guy that's a husband and a father first and still be a great coach and that's something that's exciting for me. But the tremendous support that we received while we were at Memphis is so special. Um, you know, I was actually in Seattle, Washington earlier today walking around, and that's where my wife's – that's where her knee first started bothering her. And it's kind of we – I was reliving that moment of her, you know, realizing something was up, and it's just reminding me of that because um, we were out here for a friend's, um, you know, wedding. But it kind of walked me back through that process. But, you know, in, in general, that just – that experience for us kind of reshaped my why as, as I coach now and why I coach. For people who don't know, uh, Sophia had an osteosarcoma. It's a, a tumor in the bone. So it was in the knee area. She just saw, all of a sudden said something's not right. Yeah, she did. And I, and I was the jerk that said, babe, pop a Tylenol. You're going to be okay. You know, right. and, right. and and we figured out shortly after that was not at all the case. You know, so, yeah, she had um, osteosarcoma. She ended up having to have her knee replaced. And it was actually a little bit more extensive than that. Went through, you know, uh, several bouts of chemotherapy. But she's sitting on the other end of it right now doing really well. Dan Lanning with us, University of Oregon football coach. Um, you know, the Oregon fans got used to the, the spread and the speed of the game under Chip Kelly, and then it became about physicality with Mario Cristobal. Um, you know, w where will you fall? Let's just talk offensively. What, do you, what, kind, of, what kind of pace do you want to have, or is that determined by your personnel? Um, you know, ultimately, we want to be able to adjust our pace. We, we want the ability to go fast. As a defensive coordinator, you know, you know, in the past for me, that's always been something tough to handle is tempo. Um, so we want to have the ability to control the tempo of the game, and that means we have to be able to go fast and extremely fast at times. Um, but it doesn't mean we have to live in that world. So there'll be times that we uh, attack teams with tempo, regardless of our personnel. That's going to be part of our identity. Um, but we'll also be able to adjust it. You know, we want um, to establish the run game, but we want to take shots downfield. We want to be explosive. I think I mentioned this in my opening press conferences. You know, outside of takeaways or right there with takeaways, you know, explosive plays is the number one determining factor of um, winning and losing ball games. So that's something we want our offense and our defense to be built around. It's, it's I think, a weird existence like college coaching. You look at, you know, you guys are living out of the suitcase, you're recruiting, you get the job, but then you're over, you know, still coaching at Georgia. It's, it's had to have felt like a whirlwind. Like, you know, how do you finally, like, when will it finally settle down for you is that when the family makes the move and you're moved in or when does it settle down i think that thursday after signing day i'm going to take a deep breath and uh and you know enjoy a cup of coffee maybe before sprinting to work or picking up the phone um but yeah i don't know if it uh, if it ever slows down but i you know you never feel like you work if you're doing something you really love and that's what i'm you know blessed enough to be able to do is i'm doing something i'm passionate about so uh, I'm not ready to check in or, or clock out right now. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Are you a reader? Like, do you read biographies? Do you read coaching books, so, leadership books? I love audio. I love audio books. I know that sounds like cheating, no, but no. Um, it really started. 
it started when I was, was recruiting. It started really when I was a graduate assistant at Arizona State. I started cranking out audio books. And, um, and when I, you know, you start getting on the road for recruiting, you're able to listen to audio books, whether you're on a plane or driving a car. So that's kind of been my thing. Give me like a if this is like Oprah's book club and we're saying, hey Dan, uh, throw a book into the into the fray here. What audio book should we be checking out? You got to check out Shoe Dog, right? Of course you know I'm going to say Shoe Dog. <laughs> no, it's, yeah. honestly, it's funny. Um, my my oldest son, Caden. Uh, you know, the other day I, I was lucky enough to get on the phone and visit a little bit with with Phil Knight. And I hung up the phone afterwards, and my son said, "Wait, Dad, is that the guy we heard on the audio book?" I said, "Yeah, that's 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 him, buddy." So pretty cool. But no, I love I love Shoe Dog. I love you know I love football books. Um, you know, in general, just you know, I know it's it's not just a a, a job for me; it's a hobby as well. So I enjoy um, you know anything about football biographies um, are you know really appealing to me. I love it. Dan Lanning, welcome. Uh, you, you, you killed it here on your initial appearance on the show. Uh, appreciate what you're doing and uh, wish you the best and your family as well. Welcome to the state of Oregon. Thank you, John. I appreciate you, man. That is Oregon Ducks head coach Dan Lanning making his BFT debut right as he was named Oregon head coach January 19th of this year. Uh, Stephen Vaughn with me as well. Listening back to that like he didn't sound nervous at the time, you know, hearing that in real time. He was certainly a little more reserved uh, than he is now that he's a lot more comfortable and knows us. Good stuff from Dan Lanning. Yeah, no, I think you're right on. Like he's definitely more comfortable with John, definitely giving answers. Um, but you could tell the excitement. Like we talked about the first segment with Mario Cristobal, like acting not excited. You could tell that Dan Lanning was very excited to be named the head coach of the University of Oregon. But you, know, you love to hear stuff that's just more important than football, like stuff like, you know, it's not all about football with him, but at the same time, he's a great coach. So it kind of is all about football, but he does have some priorities, which is always good to hear. Yeah. And he, uh, you know, spoke on Bo Nix, very excited to have him as it turns out, uh, he was right to believe in Bo Nix. And I remember, he gets him for one more year. Exactly. Has him for another year. And I, re I remember, you know, when the news came that Bo Nix was going to be transferring and you go, Okay, I mean, that makes sense, but uh, the Bo Nix experience is a wild ride, and not so much this year, so I'm looking forward to another year of that here at Oregon. All right, well, go away, come back on the other side. Uh, Kalen DeBoer, man, his team uh, had quite a nice season. He ended up being Pac-12 co-coach of the year. Well, we heard from uh, Kalen DeBoer back on Pac-12 Media Day. We'll revisit that and uh, listen to what his expectations were for what ended up being a very nice year. This is the best of the bald-faced truth on the BFT Radio Network. You're listening to the best of the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Welcome back to the best of the bald-faced truth. Peter Sampson, Stephen Vaughn with you. Uh, Washington had a nice year, didn't they? Kalen DeBoer is your Pac-12 co-coach of the year. Uh, December 29th, they're taking on Texas in the Alamo Bowl. Uh, of course, Michael Penix Jr. in the, the Heisman conversation. He was in the conversation. And uh, I think everyone, after the down year with uh, Jimmy Lake last year, has to be excited with what Washington did and, uh, you know, how things are looking 
going forward. Well, Kalen DeBoer, we caught up with him on this show on Pac-12 Media Day. That was at the end of July, July 29th to be exact. And uh, JC asked him about the upcoming season. Here's Kalen DeBoer. This is the best of the bald face truth. We've got Washington head coach Kalen DeBoer, who has stepped into uh, stepped into the lounge here at Pac-12 Media Day uh, as part of our coverage here. Uh, I've had you on this show before. You were at, at Fresno State. Yep. We had a long talk prior to the Oregon game. Now, I'm glad to see you in the conference, man. I'm really excited to see what you guys are going to do. Yeah, it's great to be in the conference. Uh, it's something, especially having been on the West Coast the last uh, four out of five years, um, it's something I've certainly paid a lot more attention to, become more accustomed to, and uh, it's a great conference and uh, a lot of great schools that, uh, you know, um, are, are in it for a lot of the right reasons and uh, very competitive and a lot of championships have been won in this conference. And, uh, you know, I, I know that's the, that's the plan moving forward is to continue to do that. Do you, like when you come in, you, you've obviously done this before, you've been part of a number of programs, but when you come through the door, what are the, what are the building blocks that you absolutely have to get set before, you know, you really start to think about football as a, as a program? Yeah, it's all the people. Um, surround yourself with great people, and that may sound simple, but it's really diving into the, the ones who you, you trust, first of all, uh, the ones that uh, you know are experts, um, finding the right combination of personalities, uh, expertise, um, and that's, that's where it all starts because, you know, hiring the right people and then letting them work and, yeah. uh, you, know, you know, keeping them in line. they got to have the same philosophy, philosophy, philosophy but they want to you know you want to have different people with different uh, character types too i don't want 10 coaches that are just like me i don't want five you know recruiting staff that are all exactly the same you need different people to complement each other i think it's uh it's interesting that you know there was a lot of buzz about other hires in the conference right when you were hired and and i said this is a sneaky good hire uh this guy knows what he's doing he's had success everywhere he's been what do you think those building blocks to, to success are? Like, what are those essential ingredients that you have picked up along the way? Because you've seen a lot of success. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you saying that. And uh, I think um, I think my path is unique. I was a head coach at one point, you know, and, had, had you know, this is 2005 to 2009. That's been a while already. But, uh, you know, you really get a chance at the time to shape who you are as a head coach. And then you go on to places like Southern Illinois, Eastern Michigan with Chris Creighton, um, Jeff Tedford at Fresno, Tom Allen at Indiana. And uh, you really see what all these other great coaches are doing. And uh, you get to be a part of it. And as much as you're helping them shape their program and our program at the time, um, their their ideas and just their temperaments and um, their styles, um, you know, you pick the things that, that fit what you want to add to what you already did. And so um, it, it's it's everything. It's all my experiences, and I wouldn't change my, my, uh, my path uh, for the world. Um, it's, uh, it's um, you know, it wasn't the necessary thing that I had to be at the, the highest level. I just love coaching and uh, being around the kids, and uh, this is uh, just kind of where it's come. Uh, when you love going to work, it's amazing what you can accomplish. How do you feel about your quarterback room? Yeah, it's it's competitive and uh, it's unique because you know we bring in Michael Penix uh, to to the room and he's someone that uh, I'm very familiar with. He was with me a year at Indiana in 2019. Knows the offense. Um, can can I be that coach on the field, especially as the rest of the team is learning our system? And uh, you know when you get into to the rest of it, you, know, you got a Dylan Morris uh, who's taking a lot of snaps in a Husky uniform. 
and uh, really has uh, improved a lot uh, from the beginning of the spring to the end of the spring. And, you know, a young Sam Heward, who is going to be an up-and-comer and, and uh, obviously has a big name and ha has done a lot and has a lot of accolades. Um, and it's really cool seeing his rise throughout the spring and every rep he takes, he's going to continue to get better. And, um, you know, the other guys have all that experience, and he's the one that just every day is going to make that, uh, that, that ascent faster. Um, because he's got more room to grow, and that's cool seeing that happen and being a part of that. Like 25 years ago, I was covering Indiana basketball. Bob Knight was still there as the coach. It's a different place, man. They live it. They love it. They breathe it. What did you learn at Indiana, or what did you pick up there that you still carry with you? Well, besides, I think, the things that just uh, the intensity that Tom brings and um, just the shaping of kind of how you build a culture uh, a certain way, um, I think that was a lot of it. But um, I think – the thing I've seen over all the stops, and it was continued to be um, stressed there, is that, you know, there's such a fine line between winning and losing. And, uh, you know, um, at, at Eastern Michigan, I learned that. Uh, it took a while to get going, but now you can see there's just that fine line. And, and you know, Fresno, we went from a 1-11 and 11 before we got there to, to you know, 10-4 and 4 and then 12-2. and 2. And then at Indiana, in one year, we made that big jump and went to the – the Gator Bowl, and so that fine line and how important the details are um, to make sure you're you're winning on the winning side of uh, of that line, and um, you know that just comes through again day to day, just focus and just everyone doing their job and, and being intentional and uh, and the relationships and how important they are to all of it as well. I'm going to ask you to uh, to be a little bit Nostradamus here. Um, what are we going to be talking about a year from now? Not, you yeah. know, everybody's talking about all this other stuff yeah. now. What are we going to be talking about in a year? Well, um, I mean, NIL, right? <laughs> still, are we going to well, still what be? what is it going to be? Yeah. You know, are we going to be looking back on what has, has happened and how it's changed? And, you know, now you're going to have the reflections of what was done well and what fell apart and what was a disaster. And so I think it's going to be a lot of the reflections. Um, but, you know, there's it's just – college football right now is just in a constant state of uh, you know evolving uh, that's kind of been the word that I've used uh, and you got to be able to adjust and so it's uh, having foresight and just um, changing with the times um, I mean that's the nature of the of the job right now as much as in any time it's ever been so um, I don't know what we're gonna be talking about but uh, I know we're gonna be reflecting and trying to do exactly what you're at, you say, asking is uh, to guess what the future holds. It's an interesting dynamic. You know, this this show airs statewide in Oregon. You're in Washington. Uh, those schools have always been rivals, but it, it feels like you're in it together a little bit right now. Like this conference really needs to pull together. Yeah. Yep. And so, uh, you know, how do you how do you coach and, and serve kids while the target is moving? Like yeah. NIL, Transfer Portal, who's in this conference, who's out? How do you deal with all that? Yeah, two things. I think, first of all, the kids. I mean, that's if you keep your mind and really try to simplify it down and you're doing what's best for them, and that determines what your decisions are going to be day to day, I think you're, you're always going to keep going in the right direction. When it comes to the conference, I've always been a believer that as much as we're competitive on the field, in recruiting, you know, um, a conference and, and the strength of that conference and us, you know, unifying – um, and having that 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 uh, that presence together um, makes us who we are. Um, all the different conferences I've been a part of, you know, um, the the staffs or the, or the coaches that uh, the head coaches in particular leading the programs really 
um, you know, in the end can sit in a room and look around like, hey, you know, we're fighting this fight together, uh, even though on game day we're fighting that fight against each other. Um, you know, that those are the ones that really continue, I think, to, to rise up. And, and those are the ones that are fun to be a part of because, uh, you know, as much as, yes, I know money's involved and you got, you got this, uh, you know, th this is uh, the college experience is for the players, but it's also starts with all of us. And uh, we have to be leaders and great examples in that area. Kalen DeBoer, Washington coach, thanks for joining us. You bet. Thank you. That's Kalen DeBoer on Pac-12 Media Day. This is the best of the bald-faced truth on the BFT Radio Network. Steven, real quick, I want to come to you. JC asked him, what are we going to be talking about down the road? He said, it's still NIL. Well, we're not a full year out. We're about six months out, and so far, he's right. Yeah, seems like that's still the number one topic, especially around recruiting time. You know, National Signing Day just happened, and... Uh, you know, if your team signs a big recruit, your college team, then uh, you're have you, you're giving out money. If if they sign with the or if they sign with a different team, they give out money. If they sign with your team, it's because they love the game of football. So right. it's all about the NIL money, and uh, I don't think it's going to change anytime soon. We got Jimbo Fisher complaining about NIL, which is pretty hilarious. Uh, we got a lot of people complaining about it, but it seems like it's definitely not going away, and it's the way of the future for college sports. Yeah, great conversation with Kalen DeBoer. Congratulations to him, man. I mean, great hire. Uh, Washington really did bounce back. They had a fantastic year. And, of course, they're taking on Texas in the Alamo Bowl next week. That'll be on the 29th, which, what is that, Thursday? I think that's a Thursday. Uh, definitely going to make sure to catch that matchup. All right, we'll go away, come back on the other side, wrap up our number one. So much to get to on this Friday edition of the Best of the Bald Face Truth. Jonathan Smith on being co-coach of the year in the Pac-12 along with DeBoer. Bill Moose got a couple parts with him talking USC, UCLA, the future of the Pac-12. And do we have a Stephen Vaughn segment? I think we do. And we'll get to all of that ahead on the best of the BFT. You're listening to the best of the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Welcome back in. It's the best of the bald-faced truth. I'm Peter Sampson. He's Stephen Vaughn. Hope you're having a great Friday. Stay safe. It's definitely icy out there. Glad it's going to be warming up relatively soon. Uh, Stephen, how adventurous was it for you getting in today? Yeah, so uh, you know, I live in Milwaukee. We're in downtown Portland. It's, what, like 15 minutes probably yeah. about to get into town. Um you know, it took a little bit longer today, went a little bit slower, but I, you know, the key when you're driving in ice and snow, though, you got to keep momentum, right? When you come to a mm -hmm. stop, that's when you get in real trouble because then your car can't go again. So, you know, I took it slow, uh, not very adventurous, not many cars on the road, really, which is nice to see, you know, when stuff like this, if you don't have to be in, don't come in. But of course, in radio, no days off. So uh, I had to trek it in, but no problems here. I hurt my finger a little bit, scraping the ice off my car. Oh, yeah. You know, just going really hard on it. You know, that's where I get my aggression out is really stabbing the car with a little <laughs> scraper thing and uh, scrape my finger. But 
No, besides that, pretty good. How about you, Peter? Uh, well, I did not come in this morning. Normally, I'm in from nine to you know noon or one, take a little break, then come back and you know get on the air to varying degrees. And uh, the the big difference for me though was look, the kids on on a uh, winter break. I'm not gonna lug them out in this. You know, it's 19 degrees, so I was just like, well, not gonna come in early. We'll make it work later. I got him situated. I believe he is sitting. He's watching Home Alone right now oh, on the big screen, so he's just fine. And uh, I didn't even drive. I just, I said, I'm going to go ahead and take a bus. Now, the buses are chained up. There's no one on them virtually. It was great. But, man, they're running like one out of every third bus. I'm like, oh, okay, here. It's going to be here in 18 minutes. And I watched it. All of a sudden, they're like, oh, this one's canceled. I'm just looking at the app. Okay, the next one at, say, 127, it doesn't say it's arriving or you can track it. It just says it's scheduled whatever that means and then there's finally one i can track so if you don't mind you know having to wait say 40 minutes for one uh it was easy peasy i mean it's a ghost town downtown right now so we'll see how it is getting out of here but it wasn't too terrible no yeah there there was nobody driving around you know i i was making my lunch i was looking in the break room looking out the window there's nobody out there i mean it is crazy to see but it i mean it's a sheet of ice out there also so it, it is nice to have People being a little smart and not having to go to work if they don't have to. Yeah, without a doubt. Now, I know the the Max had frozen lines. It was shut down for a while. Apparently not anymore because I'm watching a yellow line go down uh, go down uh, Broadway right now. So that's good news, or I guess that's sixth, excuse me. Uh, so apparently the Max, to some degree, is up and running again. Uh, but, yeah, stay home. I hope you're, uh, you're, you're toasty and dry right now just listening to the program. If you're in Portland, I am here to bring you the pulse from 6 to 6 seven people already sending me shots of their adult beverages because everyone's off work so uh it is a friday it's a what's in your glass friday so you can go ahead and tweet at me at peter sampson s-a-m-p-s-o-n all right hour number two coming up in just a minute we're going to open up jonathan smith he won co-coach of the year in the pac 12 we're going to uh replay our conversation with him talking about that of course prepping for uh the vegas bowl against florida where they absolutely crushed the gators uh bill moose later in the program bill shawnley reading the polar express and a whole lot more it's the best of the bft BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. Hour number two of the program. I'm Peter Sampson. He's Stephen Vaughn. This is the best of the bald faced truth here on the BFT Radio Network. We played Mario Cristobal, Dan Lanning, Kalen DeBoer in hour number one later in the show. It's the last show until Christmas. I do hope you're ready. Um, and every year around this time, we got to bring out the Shans. And uh, Bill Shanley reading The Night Before Christmas. Bill Shanley reading The Polar Express. I love it. I have that Pavlovian reaction to his voice. Just makes me happy. I grew up listening to him. I'll never forget the first time we had him here in studio, too. I'm like, hey, there's Sean's awesome. And then as soon as he cracked the mic and talked, I just got chills. Yes. That voice, man, he uh, he's awesome. Sean Lee's the best. He's the best, man. I was uh, I was at a game, and they were uh, they showed him on the big screen, and just the crowd just was absolutely insane for him, him, as you should, right? Yeah. Like, that's the way it should be. And, yeah, it's that voice, man. He is Rip City. 
And uh, we will get to Jonathan Smith in just one sec. I'm going to very briefly tell a story uh, very quickly. Uh, the BFT Celebrity Golf Tournament that JC holds every year out at the Reserve. Generally, I go out there and I'll host this very program live from the golf course while John's out, John's out golfing. Uh, a few years ago, Sean Lee was out there golfing as one of the celebrities. And my board op at the time, uh, Josiah was his name. Great kid. And uh, he's moved on to different things. But uh, he was out there, and he's like, that's Bill Shonley. I'm like, I know. Yeah, that's Sean's. You going to go talk to him? He's like, no, man, he's busy. I and I said, Josiah, let me tell you something. And you're listening to this program now. I'm going to tell you something, too. Bill Shonley loves being Bill Shonley. And he should because everyone loves Bill Shonley. And I said, you go talk to him, and you tell him you're, you know, you're a big fan. You will not be putting him off. And he's like, okay, 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 I'm going to do it. And he runs over there, and I see it. And Sean Lee turns and shakes his hand and says hello to him in that voice. And it made his week, man. Dude, that that's a great story. I mean, just to think, like, you know, especially, you know, someone just, you know, running the board, like they're, you know, getting new. They want to just meet some people, and you get to meet Bill Sean Lee, the voice of the Blazers. Like, the I mean, there's only a couple of voices. I mean, think about it. I think there's, what, four there's been four voices, yeah. I believe, with the Trailblazers and Sean's, you know, the longest tenured, obviously. I mean, just what a what a legend he is. He really is. So uh later in this program, you'll hear him uh reading the Polar Express, uh reading the night before Christmas. Give me a little bit of that rip city Christmas. But right now, uh we go to just a couple weeks ago, Jonathan Smith. He was a Pac-12 co-coach of the year, well-deserved. Uh, this is just ahead of the uh, Vegas Bowl. I don't believe they had even headed down to Vegas to uh, prepare yet. It was right before that. We had Jonathan Smith on this show. Here he is talking about a fantastic season. This is the best of the bald-faced truth. All right. Our next guest uh, is the co-coach of the year in the Pac-12 conference. I think it's well-deserved. I think uh, Jonathan Smith did a hell of a job this season, but I think the work probably of he and his staff has been a build that has started, you know, four or five years ago, really, with that first season uh, at Oregon State where he went 2-10. and 10. And I thought about it yesterday when we had Jack Coletto on the show and over the season when we have Jaden Grant on this show that, you know, these were guys that saw – the transformation and participated in the transformation themselves. And for fans and observers who have been here, um, it's been remarkable to watch it because a lot of coaches and a lot of programs will talk about growth and they'll talk about building something and then, you know, they're not not really moving. But I saw movement and, and momentum, and I continue to see momentum, and he's fresh off a plane. He just landed at the airport. And he is calling in. Is he, Are you still on the plane right now? <laughs> Just got off, man. I'm walking around PDX right now. Uh, headed, to, headed to my car. So it worked out good to catch up yeah. with you. But good, good to have you on. Hey, congratulations. Congratulations on Co-Coach of the Year. I mean, come on. Yeah. Like, it's not why you get in it, but that's it's nice when they're handing out those honors. There's no question. I think it's a reflection for those players you mentioned, uh, Jaden and Jack and a bunch of guys, this coaching staff, and there's no question we, uh, we've progressed. And, and Kaylin, the board, did a phenomenal job this year, too, so that was well-deserved. Did you exchange messages with Kaylin DeBoer? You know, get, did you go like, a, hey, congrats, congrats, or was there any kind of back and forth with you guys? 
You know, there was no, not yet. I'm sure we'll bump into each other. I, I should should have probably texted him. I, I was thinking about texting sarcastically, saying, "Hey, I might have might have won the thing if I didn't vote for the guy." You know. Yeah. <laughs> it was interesting because you got to vote for two. Uh, do you mind sharing if if he was one of your votes? You know, who were your two picks? Do you mind sharing that? Well, there's a yeah, yeah. You know, he was definitely one. Um, and there's a lot of candidates this year. I'm not going to go through the whole quarterback who I voted for, this type of thing. But, uh, you know, I think with Lincoln Riley, what he did in year one, both those guys were phenomenal. Obviously, after watching the game, you can make a strong argument. Kyle Winningham continues to be top-notch. I think Dan Lanning did some great things. Year one, I think about these guys in year one. Obviously, our experience is totally different. Um, but there was a, a lot of good coaching going on this year. Yeah, I think it's an interesting time. And, you know, I don't know if you've noticed this, but, you know, Kyle Whittingham's like the uh, the old man in the sea. He's been there longer than anybody. But you're you're tied for second when it comes to tenure. Is that weird for you? Like, it doesn't feel like you've been here that long. Yeah, well, uh, obviously the coach saw taking off, and I do. I don't know if I'm tied for second. I think Wilcox got me by a year. Okay. So, but yeah, I'm I'm all I'm getting a little bit older in in this thing, and there's some new faces in the. I can't wait till these coaches meetings in May, man. We get some new faces, new personalities to <laughs> to get to know. What is it like uh, when you get in those coaching meetings? Is you know, do you guys? Is it cordial? You guys know each other well. Is there is there good good camaraderie because you go through some of the same stuff? What's that like? Yeah, it's cordial, no question. I mean, sitting in the head coach's seat, you know, these guys deal with some of the things that obviously I do. So it, I've enjoyed it, man. I've gotten a lot out of it. I appreciated David Shaw from day one. Um, asking him his thoughts on handling things and how he did it. And obviously year one, Chris Peterson's in the room, Mike Leach is in the room. Um, and now, like I said, we've progressed into some more and more guys. I enjoy hanging with Dan and Chip Kelly. I know Justin really well back in the day. So, yeah, it's cordial, good discussions, a couple laughs. Uh, I look forward to getting together with those guys. All right. Uh, you got out on the road pretty quickly after the last regular season game, and you began recruiting, and I think you've – You've been in Kansas and Florida and Texas and all over the place. What is it like for you to have nine wins in your pocket while you're recruiting? Oh, it's, yeah, it's huge, man. People taking notice and um, getting in these homes, the excitement, going to these high schools. and People talking about, hey, I watched this game, I watched that, great year. Um, so, yeah, a ton of momentum makes it makes it fun to do. I enjoy this part of it, and getting, around, getting on the turf as the recruits were chasing and getting in their homes and, talking with mom and dad and that kind of thing. And so kind of wraps up for me today. we got practice in the morning. I'm going to do one more flight in the afternoon. Go see one more one more guy, and then we're locked in on the Gators. All right, so bowl game, uh, Vegas Bowl, SEC opponent. Um, it's not just getting to a bowl game now. It, it's about winning a bowl game, isn't it? Without question. Hopefully we've got a learning experience from last year. You know, we got a lot in front of us. I mean, this is a big game. The opportunity to win 10 games, SEC, awesome venue, counting on Beaver Nation showing up in a big way next weekend. I mean, shoot, it's easy to catch flights to Vegas. Come on down for the weekend. Um, so awesome atmosphere, still a ton to accomplish, and really send out these last you know, the seniors the right way. Really proud of that group. Like you mentioned, some of these guys have been, been here since 2018 and want to put that note on them that they're going out with 10 wins. Yeah, getting a 10-win season, uh, you think about that as a benchmark. 
you know, and I know at the beginning of the year, you said, when I said, what was your goal? You said you wanted to win them all and get to Vegas. Guess what? You got to Vegas in a different way, and you uh, you go 9-3, and three, which is not bad at all, and you have a chance to get to 10. What would 10 wins mean to the program? Yeah, it'd be huge. I mean, that's a, that's a benchmark. I mean, you know, 9's a, a good season, and, and 10 separates things a little bit. And, and, you know, you always got the coach in you, and we've had a couple – flip out of our hands. Of course, we got fortunate at the end of a couple wins, too, so there's some back and forth there. Um, but I do. I want to play a great game, play our best football at the end of the year. Got a bunch of respect this program. They got some players. Their scheme's tough. You know, it's the SEC. Um, and so for the opportunity, Oregon State, Pac-12, play a team like that, win, 10 wins, all of that is, is something we're chasing and mean a ton. All right. I didn't get a chance to really have you on after the rivalry game with Oregon, and it was it was uh, remarkable to see you guys impose your will at the end of that game, and you know what what how did that feel to you to kind of just put the hands the ball in the hands of your offense and they couldn't stop you. Well, you know, you got it, we got the ball in our hands in opportune times, field position wise. And there's no question, the whole line took over and the run game did. Defense had a huge stop on fourth down. Special teams play. You know, just college football is a long game, and it did not feel good. I'll tell you, it started that second half, return the ball over freaking twice, um, get down three scores. But I did feel like there was enough time if we could get a quick score, and we did in the third quarter, get the crowd back into it, had some opportunities, and then it, it, it totally the momentum swung, and, and these guys finished the deal. It was interesting because the, that was the kind of game that you, you lost last year, a close game, you had to finish it, you know, and – you know, you, you played well enough in other games, but that was the kind of game that didn't go your way, and so there's growth there. How do you parlay that into next season while you're also losing some, some veteran guys? Yeah, each year's going to be new. I mean, the guys that are returning next year, we get to learn from all experiences, hopefully gain some confidence from all experiences. I mean, even think about this year, you know, that game, our defense needs to come up with a stop. It's first goal on the five. is about three minutes left. Uh, and they come up with a huge stop on fourth down and, and turn the ball over. Earlier games, we've given up the lead, right? We had the lead against FC, three minutes left, couldn't get that done. We pinned UW inside of their own five, about five minutes left. They go 95 yards and kick a field goal more or less as time expires. You know, even Fresno, we took the lead. They take it right back, and obviously we finished it. So it was a, a huge step that we needed to clear of having the lead at the end and, and getting the stop to win the game. Transfer portal, 1,000 players in there. How do you... How do you uh, balance that in your mind? Like, I think we all think it's good for kids to have options, but how do you retain your guys, and how active do you guys want to be in grabbing talent out of the portal? Yeah, uh, you focus on both of them, you know, retaining your guys. I do think our guys are excited to, you know, what we've created around here, their experiences they're having, they're growing, developing. Uh, but, it, you know, every situation for each individual is not the same, and there's some good opportunities for players to – you know, maybe play some more, or the fit isn't exactly right. Um, on the flip side of it, yeah, we've got some things next year, depending on a couple of decisions guys make on you know, going to the NFL or not, we're going to need need to continue to fill our roster in unique ways, you know, with the, the walk-on piece, high school scholarships, junior college, and the transfer portal. And we'll be, we're definitely checking it and seeing and talking to some guys. Got to use it uh, because it's available. Damian Martinez had a great second half of this season, just dominant. Looks like a guy that you could build around next year. 
Um, you know, I know that you don't have control over collectives, but how, how concerned are you about him being that, you know, he's a Texas kid, you know, some other school or some other collective coming after him? Uh, you know, how, how good do you feel about Damien? Yeah, we're aware of it. I mean, he has a big-time year, and he's not alone. we got some other younger players in this day and age in college football. Um, you know, on our end, from the you know, program-wise, we're trying to make his experience as best as possible, and he's taking advantage of it. I do think he's generally really happy at this place. Um, but that's something you've got to be aware of in, in this day and age. And it's not just our place, but all across college football. You're yeah. good players that have some eligibility. Um, you're aware that what can take place potentially. All right, today we are raising money for the BFT Foundation, and it helps kids in art, music, education, athletics. Um, you know, as an elementary school kid or a junior high school kid, what was important to Jonathan Smith? Was it just sports, or were you into music or art or drama? What did you do? Okay, well, for sure it's the sports thing. I like the neighborhood. You know, I know a lot of that inter intertwined to the yeah. football and, yep. you know, two-hand two touch football. My parents pushed me hard in music when I was young, young piano, played the trumpet, and then they gave me an opportunity to stop. And of course, I was 11 years old, and I stopped. I regret that to this day because I still can't sit down and like play, a, play an instrument. I wish I would have wish would have done that. Uh, do you, do you so, think, yeah, like those if, are the kind of activities. Do, like if the marching band handed you a trumpet, could you do you at least know how to hold it? Could you play a note? Like what, what would you be able to do? <laughs> I, might be, I might be able to hold it, could not play a note. It takes some work now to be able to produce the sound in those I know. instruments. Trumpet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got nothing. I can't read music. I mean, I sit down to the piano. I got no chance. But, hey, I can still the rest of my life here. I can, you always trying to grow and improve. That'd be something I wouldn't mind picking up, yeah. YouTubing it or something. Yeah, because you could do, like, the national anthem and then kick off the game and coach the game. You could be, like, the, the trumpet guy. I don't know if I'd get to that stage, yeah. <laughs> but maybe when I'm at the house by myself and, Trying to relax, if I could function on the piano, would be pretty sweet. You know, I thought of you because last night I thought the Giants were getting Aaron Judge, and it turns out he goes back to the Yankees. So, as a Dodger fan, you br you breathe a sigh of relief that Aaron Judge is not in the NL West. Well, yeah, hundred percent. Unless he was going to be on the Dodgers, because we've lost <laughs> some guys now. Cody's gone, Trey Turner. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, hundred percent. I'm glad he's not playing in San Francisco. I was bummed about that. All right, good luck to you. Congrats on the uh, Coach of the Year. You deserve it. Uh, I think it was a, it's a great regular season. Really eager to see you guys get uh, a shot at Florida in the 10th win. It'll be fun to watch. Well, you'll be watching from Vegas, right? You're coming on down? I am. Uh, you always, I was just there. You know, I was there for the Utah-USC game. Uh, and... we got to make your money back, man. You gotta, you know, probably didn't go just... great for you. You can come on back in a couple weeks and make back. Uh, I should just stay there. Like, my wife would really go for that. Like, I'll just stay there two, three weeks, you know? She'd be real happy yeah. about that. <laughs> That's what the Thank kids you. do, yeah, no. Jonathan, okay, good, good job. I'll see you, man. Thank you. Thanks. See you. There, there he is from PDX. That's Jonathan Smith talking about being named Pac-12 Co-Coach of the Year. This is the best of the bald-faced truth. And the reason John asked him about, uh, you know, other sports or music or what activity was important to him uh, is because that was right around the time of the uh, the BFT Radiothon, which we do every year uh, to support the uh, Bald Face Truth Foundation this year. No different. Another successful auction. And uh, it was awesome to see, Stephen, you were a part of that.
with that as well. Uh, raised a lot of money for kids, you know, with uh, whether it's Blazers tickets, you know, Grant McComey, the Outdoor Adventures. Uh, a lot of good was done that day. Yeah, my first time being a part of it. Uh, it's such a good thing that uh, people are reaching out and, you know, contributing for kids. And, you know, as a father, you know, you see that some kids just have so much trouble, whether it's at home or whatever, just doing extracurricular activities and i think it's so important to do that and so just you know any type of help for kids man it's it's just so good so it was so good to be a part of it and uh yeah it just it is really cool to see uh, just the help that it actually does. Yeah, and we still got to get Jonathan Smith out there with the Oregon State Band on a trumpet, don't yeah, you think? that'd be sick, man. That'd be so cool. <laughs> I'd love to see it. All right, we'll go away, come back on the other side. We will keep the best of the bald-faced truth going. Uh, Bill Moose, this July, spoke with Kanzano about the future of the Pac-12. That's in relation USC, UCLA's big announcement that they're headed to the Big Ten. Uh, later in the program, of course, Bill Shonley's going to read us uh, the night before Christmas and the Polar Express. And uh, we've got a Stephen Vaughn segment. I had fun during this segment, uh, which was, what was that, two weeks ago, Stephen, three weeks ago? Yeah, probably two weeks ago, I yeah, guess. Yeah, yeah. when Stephen became a wise man. I, uh, I take issue with the word became. Always but have been. Always has been, my man. But we will revisit that later in the show as well. I'm Peter Sampson. He is Stephen Vaughn. This is the best of the bald-faced truth on the BFT Radio Network. You're listening to the best of the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Welcome back in. Peter Sampson, Stephen Vaughn. This is the best of the bald-faced truth with John Canzano. You are tuned into the BFT Radio Network. JC will be back next week. Looking forward to the live shows beginning again. And uh, over the summer... Bill Moose uh, joined the program to uh, just talk about the uh, the future of the Pac-12, uh, the the conference in general, and of course the big news at the time: USC and UCLA departing, jumping ship, going to the Big Ten. Here's part one of that conversation on the best of the BFT. I thought Bill Moose did a hell of a job when he was the athletic director at Oregon. Then he went to Washington State, and you know what? He he kind of leveled the playing field there with Mike Leach as the coach. Stadium got some upgrades, facilities got some upgrades, and then he bounced to Nebraska. So he's been around. He's seen some stuff. He was a player in the Pac-8 conference. He was an administrator at Oregon in the Pac-10. He saw it expand to the Pac-12. What does Bill Moose think now about what's become of the Pac-12 conference? He's joining us now. Bill Moose, thank you for making time. My pleasure, John. Your reaction when you saw UCLA-USC bolt last week, how did that strike you? Well, it, it of course, was a surprise. Um, my youngest son, who was actually a player at Cal, uh, sent me a text, and uh, I was doing some other things, and I, I thought to myself, what, what is going on this crazy world? But, you know, in these days of, NIL and uh, transfer portals and everybody hopping one place to go to another. I, after the dust settled, it really didn't surprise me that much. Yeah, we look at the way that television has trumped geography and tradition. I'm not. I, I'm. I'm convinced it's not going to be good ultimately for college sports. But w at what point did you see 
sort of the influence of television taking over? Because you were working in the business. Well, during my time at Oregon, uh, it, it really evolved uh, quite quite a bit. We uh, started to, uh, and I was on the, the uh, television committee twice, uh, and the dollars started to really mount. Uh, the, the, the second one, when I was at Washington State, after we had brought uh, Utah and Colorado into the conference, at the time, John, if you remember, that was the largest television deal in, in college sports history. Um, and you could really get a feel for the value. And that, it was during that time that, that uh, I worked on and, and many others uh, to get equal distribution within the Pac-12. And that made a big difference. Uh, parity really started to come along. Uh, uh, and, and we needed that, that L.A. market, there's no question, but uh, we needed a strong conference, too, and that's what I really feel we got, uh, you know, in those ensuing years. And, uh, and now that market is, is no longer in the footprint. Bill Moose with us, uh, former Oregon, Washington State, and Nebraska athletic director. You saw it at Nebraska. Now USC and UCLA are going to see it. What does competition in the Big Ten look like? <laughs> well, it is tough. And... Uh, you know, we're, we're zeroing in, I, I believe, John, right now anyway, on the football piece. And uh, the, there are no days off in the, in the Big Ten. Um, it's a, still a black and blue conference, but it has star power. Um, wonderful universities, uh, a, a, a lot alike in many ways and some not. Uh, when I was at Nebraska, um, uh, we were the furthest west campus can't say that anymore uh, but uh, to to travel to Rutgers and Maryland and and even those in between were long jaunts and uh, we were sending all our teams out that way and they were sending theirs our way and uh, it is now uh, well actually doubled uh, so it's going to be interesting to see how that all plays out I will tell you, uh, there's 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 great market value. Uh, USC and UCLA have strong brands, but they're going into a conference that has strong brands and lots of them. And uh, when you take a, a football team into Ann Arbor or Columbus, you're going to go into Madison, Wisconsin, going out to uh, to Penn State. Uh, those are Big stadiums, big traditions, lots of championships. Uh, it'll it, it'll be, there'll be great competition, but uh, it's hard for me to uh, see that there's going to be a lot of ten win seasons. It's probably going to be more like uh, seven and eight uh, is is pretty good. Bill Moose with us. Uh, let me ask you. You know, Oregon. You know the brand. You were there. You know what. Oregon brings it you know I'm torn a little bit on you know advocating for what is right for Oregon or Washington and then I think about Oregon State and Washington State I kind of want to see them all stick together there's a loss of nostalgia here the Rose Bowl thrown into the mix too Bill when I look at it you know and it doesn't feel like that matters to the rest of the country and and that hurts uh, I'm a somewhat of a traditionalist. I grew up 
wishing to one day play or be involved in some way with the Rose Bowl. It was always synonymous with the Big Ten and and the Pac-8, Pac-10, Pac-12. Um, but uh, it, it seems to me, John, that this is all posturing for an expansion of the college football playoff. And uh, not unlike the NFL, for example, you're wanting to get into that postseason and then have a chance to get the big prize. And uh, I think this will probably, uh, what I'm talking about, be what's up next. And, and uh, with the, with the uh, revised Big Ten, you know, they could have, uh, depending on how, how large the CFP becomes, could have two, three, maybe, maybe even four schools in it. Uh, so it, it'll be interesting to see how that piece plays out. Um, Oregon, uh, it's a strong brand, and, I, and I'm proud of what we did there and, and what Rob has done since and, and uh, the, the great leadership they have. And, uh, you know, I've always said it's one thing to get there and another thing to stay there, and uh, Oregon has sustained it, and it's got a lot of pizzazz and sizzle and uh, uh, the style of play through the years, um, you know, since since I was there in 95 and on into today is something that people like to tune into. The problem is there aren't there there isn't that big an audience within the state. And uh, uh, Washington's a little different story. They they've got a a, a great tradition and and uh, and they've got viewers. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what happens there. But um, uh, Washington State and Oregon State. Uh, I, I think a lot of both of those schools are very similar, and what they really have to offer that, that to a to a student, and I always felt a student athlete was the college town, that college experience where you have to pack up and go to State U, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, again, uh, that is not appealing when you're talking about big dollars in television markets. I keep thinking about what the survival move is for the Pac-12. If you were a consultant right now, and you know, Pac-12 likes to pay them, as we know. Uh, can, if you were consulting with the Pac-12, Bill, um, you know, where, what would you tell them? Well, I, I, uh, I've already been somewhat outspoken here on this. I, I think you've got you to gotta turn east and, and have serious conversations with the Big 12. Um, the irony here is uh, a year or so ago, uh, they, they were desperate. They were losing Oklahoma and Texas and, and needed to uh, uh, look for some ways for them to get back on track, and they did a very good job of that. Uh, but uh, I think the, uh, the, the regional piece of it and, and, and the locations of the universities and and, uh, and a lot of them uh, are, are like institutions, make sense. Um, what, what would be um, unfortunate for probably uh, Washington State or Oregon State is if a cherry-picking uh, piece came in there where, hey, we want you, we want you, but uh, sorry, you, you, you're not coming to the party. And, uh, and then that would bring devastation to those, those schools. So... I, I really think that, that if I was a consultant with the Pac-12, I would say it's all or nothing. Uh, if we're going to look at, at uh, 
joining or merging with another conference, we all go. But unfortunately, everybody's looking out for themselves, and uh, and and I think that would be a real injustice. Peter Sampson, Stephen Vaughn with you. This is the best of the bald-faced truth. That's part one of John's conversation with Bill Moose over the summer, July 5th of this year, talking Pac-12, USC and UCLA bolting to the Big Ten. On the other side, we'll bring you the second half of that conversation and a whole lot more. Keep it right here. It's the BFT Radio Network. It's 4.35. I think there is some optimism you know, that, that Anthony Davis could play again in the relative near future, but they're going to certainly be careful not put him in a position, you know, to re-injure it. That was Woj talking about Anthony Davis and his injury. AD expected to be reevaluated in another seven to days, ten days of rest, and then Lakers and Davis remain cautiously optimistic on the foot stress injury he has that there's hope he could return in early January. Trailblazers back in action tonight. After losing two in a row in Oklahoma City, they are taking on the Nuggets. Blazers in eighth place in the Western Conference. Nuggets four-and-a-half-point favorites in this matchup. The Hornets and restricted free agent Miles Bridges are gathering traction on a new deal. And there is a lot of optimism that they could agree to a deal in the near future. And the sooner Bridges and the Hornets can reach a deal, the sooner he can seemingly start serving the NBA suspension he's going to get for domestic violence in the offseason. And the NFL has confirmed today that New York Jets wide receivers coach Miles Austin has been suspended for violating the NFL's gambling policy. There's no indication that Austin bet on NFL games as a coach, but he bet on other sports games and at NFL uh, workplace environments, which is against the gambling policy. Brought to you by Goldberg and Jones, Divorce for Men. Call 1-800-DIVORCE. Brought to you by Satellite Tavern, North Portland's best sports bar with an old-school Portland feel. Come watch your game at Satellite Tavern on North Interstate Avenue. From the Beaverton Toyota Sports Desk, 750 The Game. You wash your hands, you brush your teeth, but what about the nose? How do you clean your nose? With Navage. Navage uses powered suction to pull saline in one nostril, around the back of the nose, and out the other nostril, flushing out allergens, mucus, and germs. And it's why cleaning your nose, the body's air filter, is the next evolution in daily personal hygiene. People try Navage for lots of reasons. Sinusitis, colds, allergies, snoring, things that make it hard to breathe through your nose. But over time, they find that cleaning their nose makes them feel better, a lot better. Over 3 million Navage users have written more than 100,000 reviews, averaging 4.7 stars, saying, best product I've ever used, and amazing, I love my Navage. Navage helps you breathe better, sleep deeper, and snore less, but the biggest payoff is improved health. Navage is good personal hygiene, and can help you stay healthier. At Walmart, Walgreens, CVS, Rite Aid, Target, and online. Navage, N-A-V-A-G-E. Clean nose, healthy life. You know Dasher and Dancer and Prancer and Vixen, Comet and Cupid and Donner and that other one. That's 1,774.48 pounds on your roof. At Roof Life of Oregon, we make roofs right. Regular roof maintenance from Roof Life can extend the life of your roof by 15, even 20 years. Our CCB number is 125208. Roof Life. Roof maintenance and replacement for the naughty and nice. RoofLifeofOregon.com. At Lowe's, it pays to be a pro. Now through January 6th, Lowe's MVP's Pro Rewards members earn one bonus point for every dollar spent on qualifying purchases with the Lowe's business credit account. Redeem bonus points for cool rewards for your business. Join Lowe's MVP's Pro Rewards today to start earning. 
Subject to credit approval, Lowe's terms and exclusions. See Lowe's.com slash MVP's bonus points and Lowe's.com slash L slash pro loyalty term for details. U.S. only. Help Ukrainian children. Shazam this song. Scroll down Shazam. Open on YouTube. Follow the link and donate. You're listening to the best of the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Welcome back in. This is the best of the bald-faced truth on the BFT Radio Network. Peter Sampson, Stephen Vaughn with you. Final edition of the best of the BFT before Christmas. JC will be back next week. We've had great conversations. Mario Cristobal, Dan Lanning, Kalen DeBoer, Jonathan Smith so far today. And uh, now we're going to go ahead and bring you part two of Kanzano's conversation with Bill Moose. This is back on July 5th of this year, talking the future of the Pac-12, USC, UCLA's departure, and more. This is Bill Moose, best of the bald Face truth. Bill Moose with us, uh, former Washington State, Oregon, and Nebraska athletic director. Uh, Bill, how did the Pac-12 end up here? Like, it, is did they just lose sight of things? Did they get bad leadership? How did they end up here? Yeah, you know, I think it's a a, a number of things, John. Um, USC and UCLA always felt that they were uh, – they were the drawing card for, for television money. And, and again, because it's a huge market, uh, I've always fought and as did others of my colleagues for parity to make the conference strong. And, and we achieved that. I really think now as, as time went on, we, we went into, uh, the COVID years. And even before that, um, the, the conference was getting a bad rap and, uh, uh, you were seeing where where uh, there were four uh, schools that, that would play in the postseason in the in the college football playoff, and and uh, for several years the Pac-12 was not one of them. They're champion, and uh, pretty soon stadiums were uh, about half full. Uh, viewers were not uh, really watching. Of course, there's always that that uh, time zone challenge but uh it's a good brand of football and uh and then uh there's some dissension there there were uh um you know a change in the commissioner uh it just it, it just wasn't running on all cylinders and uh uh usc and ucla knowing what their market is and always trying to hold that above the rest of our heads i uh, have now taken that prime market out of uh, the footprint of the Pac-12, and that's going to hurt uh, when trying to negotiate this upcoming deal with the television partners. I had one athletic director in the Pac-12 say that this is on Carol Folt, the the uh, president of USC. Do you blame her, or is that too harsh? Does she need to do what's best for her university? Well, 
you you have to do what's best for you, your university, and it's amazing how uh, that was all working when when we were uh, all even. The playing field was level. Uh, what I don't like, John, is the sneaky aspect of this, the the deceiving piece. What are we teaching our student athletes? Yeah. Uh, you know, to to do things on the sly and and all of that. Uh, and Oklahoma and Texas did the same thing to Bob Bowlesby and those great institutions in the Big 12. Uh, I don't. I I I just think that part. I, it, it, was there ever any conversations? I don't believe there was with those two schools, meaning USC and UCLA, that they were contemplating this. Uh, no, everybody just woke up one day and it was done. Um, so, uh, kind of kind of a uh, well, it's it, it, the kind of things that that uh, you don't teach your kids if you, if you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, it disappoints me as well. And uh, you know, George Klyovkov, the Pac-12 commissioner, he was he was on day number 365 of his first year. Uh, you know, he's ready to close the books on the on year one and go pretty good year. And it turns out, no, it's a disastrous year. We're talking to Bill Moose, uh, who is a former athletic director. Uh, you know, you got into the the world of athletics, and we watched you, you know, sort of uh, in, in your career move up the ladder and then across at multiple universities. But you started in the conference when it was the Pac-8. What it was that like back in the days? <laughs> well, I was a, a student athlete. I was a football player at Washington State, uh, 69 through 72. Uh, and it, it was a thrill um, uh, and, and fabulous memories. Uh, but it was by no means a level playing field. You, We basically had the two L.A. schools, USC, UCLA, and then Washington, uh, who were the powerhouses, and the rest of us just you know, tried to get an upset here or there. <laughs> the rival, the rivalries were strong, and uh, and and I loved the rivalries. The, the Apple Cup, the old Civil War, uh, the big game. Uh, of course, SC and UCLA, and then the Territorial Cup. My son played at Arizona State, and and uh, that's a tremendous rivalry. And who knows where all those are going to go now? Uh, when we were talking, when we expanded and and uh, to the to the uh, Pac-12, and we were going to divide into divisions. I was adamant that the Northwest schools stay together. Those rivalries go back over a hundred years, and the fans can get to those campuses and all of that. Um, but the color and pageantry of college football, uh, growing up and playing in the in the Pac-8, uh, it, it was wonderful, and and uh, and again, great memories. Uh, when the conference expanded uh, and brought the Arizona schools in, I, I, I was uh, I, I was not a big believer in that. Um, I was a traditionalist again, and I never really bought into it until my son went to Arizona State. Now it's all all Sun Devils, and uh, Dave Hickey, who was my chief of staff at Oregon, is the athletic director at Arizona, and I pull for him too. And uh, then I really felt it made sense at the time with Colorado and Utah and um, what it could bring to us in regards to uh, uh, being able to negotiate a, a solid television package, which again, uh, I reiterate, ended up being divided uh, equally, which at Washington State, we went from uh, television uh, revenue the, the previous year of just shy of $4 million to an average of 
$22.5 million. Well, we were able to, to uh, build the, the stadium, uh, actually expanded in our football operations building and a, a new soccer stadium and, and baseball clubhouse. Those things couldn't have been done uh, without that. So uh, I've seen it. I've seen it all. I played in it. I got to serve two wonderful universities. Um, great experience. But when, when the rivalries uh, are, are, are challenged, when the Rose Bowl is, uh, is in question, all those things that uh, I think at the end of the day are maybe more important than money to the university and certainly uh, name, image, and likeness, which I've never been a fan of anyway. And uh, it just has a different look than uh, what I signed up for. And maybe that's why I'm sitting on my back porch today. <laughs> <laughs> Give me an idea. What do you think happens to the Rose Bowl in this equation? I started to worry, John, about the Rose Bowl uh, in, in, in the old uh, setup of the, of the BCS uh, when, when it took its turn before it became the, the plus plus one uh, model. And, in fact, uh, us, us Oregon Ducks uh, got the short end of a shaft there uh, in that 2001 season yep. uh, when we ended up second in the nation. But, uh, of all places, Nebraska went to the Rose Bowl and never even won the Big 12 championship. Um, and I started to worry about it a little bit then, and then as things moved into the uh, uh, college football playoff, I went down and watched Oregon and, and was rooting for them play Florida State. It didn't feel right. Mm-hmm. I remember when Mike Price took his Cougars down there and played Oklahoma. Uh, you know, great opponent, great teams, but didn't feel right. Uh, uh, and and it, it, it has dwindled and dwindled even more. Uh, the Rose Bowl should be... Uh, and, and, and I fought for this even when I was at Nebraska. I was on a committee and was outspoken. Uh, we have to have a representative in the Rose Bowl. That was my, uh, my point. Uh, and, and so should the Pac-12. Whether it's a champion or not, that's who should be in there, however this thing pans out. But, you know, when, when I was – I served on the Rose Bowl Management Committee twice during my days in the conference, and uh, there were three of us. Uh, and, and written in the bylaws that uh, two, two of those were the AD at USC and UCLA, those ADs, mm. and one at large. So that kind of told you who ran the show, and now, uh, and now they're gone. So who knows? It, uh, it, it'll have a whole different look, and that's too bad because that is the granddaddy, great tradition. Uh, it's, it's, not, it's not just the game, of course. It's the parade and and the tournament of roses and it's uh it's going to be interesting to see how it pans out but i i'm not going to be a fan i'm sure bill moose uh i really appreciate you giving us your time and expertise thank you and enjoy the back porch man it sounds like a delight (laughs) it is today and uh always good to talk to you john i hope we can do it again let's do it bill moose thank you sir 
That was Bill Moose speaking with John Canzano in July of this year. This is the best of the bald face truth. Uh, the back porch does sound like a delight. Maybe not today. Obviously, very cold, very icy out there. Hope everyone is uh, staying safe. Hope everyone is uh, warm, hopefully indoors. If you uh, did have to go to work today, I hope you're uh, creeping home very slowly right now. We can uh, get back to some normal weather, hopefully as soon as possible. We'll go away, come back. We'll wrap up our number two coming up. In the final hour of the best of the bald face truth, uh, we've got some Bill Shonley for you. You know, that's always a treat. We always do it around Christmas time. He'll be reading the Polar Express. He'll be reading the night before Christmas. And we will talk about when Stephen Vaughn became a wise man, even though I do take umbrage with the word became. I've known Stephen Vaughn for a while now. He seems to have always been a wise man in my estimation, but we will revisit that from earlier this month next. Uh, This is the best of the bald face truth on the BFT radio network. You're listening to the best of the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Welcome back in. This is the best of the bald face truth on the BFT radio network. It's a chilly one today, man. I'm way I Steven, I don't know about you. It's it's cold here in my studio too. Now, if anything, it's usually a couple degrees warmer than I prefer rather than colder. You've got all the equipment, you know, it's closed off. You got to keep the door closed, you know, so people can't barge in on you while well, you got the mic cracked. I don't know how it is in there, but I'm a, I'm shivering a little bit. I I'm okay. I got my t-shirt on, but uh you know, I run so hot all the time anyway. Yeah. So, it's like, you know, I just couldn't wait to get out of my sweatshirt and coat that I brought today for having to walk into work. But yeah, no, I don't, maybe it's a little chilly now that I think about it. Yeah, I I was definitely wrapped up. I was practically like Ralphie's brother in a Christmas story. Couldn't even put my arms down, man. I had the coat, I had the scarf, I had the hat, I had everything on. I had the gloves, which by the way, if you don't own a pair of just good, comfy, warm gloves, man, upgrade your life immediately. Upgrade your. I even got some where I can. Uh, I can still scroll my phone mm. on the thumb and the and the the pointer finger. It still works, so I can unlock and and scroll on my phone. It's a game changer. Glove technology has advanced. Are you, do you usually run hot or run cold? Uh, I run hot. I yeah. do. Yeah, I know Kim's listening right now. She's like, he runs hot. Because <laughs> <laughs> I roast her out of bed. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we're just right. I don't know. I think I just got a little bit of a breeze or something kind of, you know, coming through the cracks or something like that. I it's mean, chilly it, in here. It's very chilly outside. And I uh, I like to just touch windows when it's cold outside like that. And just feel how cold <laughs> it is. Am I the only one that does that? Uh, yeah, I think so. I don't know. My kid does it too. Uh, all right. Hour number two, just about in the books. Of course, just because we're giving you a best of, it does not mean that there's no sports actually happening. So in just a couple minutes on the top of the, uh, third hour, we will still give you the five at five, the five biggest things uh, going on in the world of sports. There's uh, lots of NBA going on, Major League Baseball news, uh, a a ban in the NFL that I want to talk to. A coach has been banned for a year. Uh, So we've definitely got a lot to talk about as we keep you abreast of all the comings and goings in the world of sports. And then after that, it's Bill Shonley time. Bill Shonley going to read the Polar Express. 
I just celebrated my uh, five-year anniversary here at the uh, at the uh, flagship station, and every single December I have heard this. It still brings a smile to my face. Bill Shonley, the Polar Express. Of course, later we'll have him reading The Night Before Christmas, and uh, we'll split that up uh, with a great segment from just... About two weeks ago, two and a half weeks ago, we had some fun. Stephen Vaughn, the wise man, the uh, had you had the answers to all of our questions, and believe me, there were questions. Yeah, and I had answers. Uh, I came home and told my wife that I was uh, answering questions, and she, you know, she knew what she was talking about. She's like, "Yeah, you you have lots <laughs> to say. Whenever you have there's a question, you will answer it." So yeah, it's uh, it's very true. It was good, and if you missed it, it was rapid fire. I'm not kidding. We probably dropped twenty questions on you. I mean, I don't know. 15, about 10 minutes, yeah. Yeah, it was really, really good stuff. I was impressed with the answers, so we'll revisit that. But first, of course, on the other side, we will bring you the five biggest things in the world of sports. We do it every day on this show. Uh, I am Peter Sampson. He's Stephen Vaughn. This is the best of the bald-faced truth on the BFT Radio Network. Don't just believe. Verify with KGW. KXTG Portland. Wishing you happy holidays. And thank you for listening to Portland's number one sports station, 750 The Game. It's 5 o'clock. I think there is some optimism, you know, that that Anthony Davis could play again in the relative near future. But they're going to certainly be careful not put him in a position, you know, to re-injure it. That was Woj talking about forward Anthony Davis of the Lakers. AD expected to be reevaluated after another 7 to 10 days of rest. But the Lakers and Davis remain cautiously optimistic on that foot stress injury that he could return in early January. Trailblazers back in action tonight against the Nuggets. Of course, Portland lost their last two in a row to the Oklahoma City Thunder. Now they're in eighth place in the Western Conference. Nuggets, four and a half point home favorites. The Hornets and restricted free agent forward Miles Bridges are gaining traction in talks for a new deal. And there's optimism that an agreement can come in the near future. Now, of course, the sooner Bridges and Hornets come to a deal, the sooner he can be suspended by the NBA because of the domestic violence issue he had in the offseason. And the NFL has confirmed that New York Jets wide receiver coach and former player Miles Austin has been suspended for violating the NFL's gambling policy for a minimum of a year. There's no indication that Austin bet on NFL games as a coach, but he bet on other sports and bet at the team facility, which violates the NFL personnel gambling policy. For the best indoor golf and entertainment facility, head to Sim Golf. Play the top golf courses on world-class simulators. Visit Sim Golf near Washington Square Mall or at simgolf.com. From the Beaverton Toyota Sports Desk, I'm Stephen Vaughn, 750 The Game. B. FFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. Final hour of the program. I'm Peter Sampson. He's Stephen Vaughn. This is the best of the bald faced truth on the BFT radio network. It's been a great week of shows, it's been a great show today. We brought you Mario Cristobal calling into this program on the day that he left Oregon for Miami. That was December of last year. We brought you Dan Lanning's BFT debut right after he was named head coach of the Oregon Ducks January of this year. Kalen DeBoer from Pac-12 Media Day. 
looking ahead to this season, a season where uh, they bounced back very nicely from a down year last year. Of course, uh, you know, Kalen DePore, Michael Penix Jr. Yeah, that's an upgrade. That'll help you. Uh, of course, uh, they're in uh, taking on Texas in the, uh, the Alamo Bowl. That'll be on December 29th. We brought you Jonathan Smith. The other co-coach of the year in the Pac-12 along with Kalen DeBoer. Uh, We had a two-part conversation with Bill Moose, former athletic director, just running the gamut of issues facing the Pac-12, not least of which was USC and UCLA's future. Of course, they are leaving the uh, Pac-12. UCLA, there was a little bit of a hiccup there. I don't think we really doubted that they were going to go, but the only question was, was there going to be some sort of financial compensation going back to uh to uh Cal and uh I still wonder if uh if UCLA is going to be in the Big 10 say a dozen years from now. I just still wonder. Yeah, I mean I think there is a chance, you know, and David Shaw talked about this at Pacto Media like location and it's going to win out the end. And I think you might be right on that is that it may not be as beneficial monetarily for UCLA, I think for USC they'll be fine, but UCLA I think especially right. just to be, be able to have to go coast to coast, it just seems like you're not going to be making as much money as you think you are. It, it, that's exactly what it is. You add in those little penalties there, the uh, financial compensation, and all those things add up, and I just wonder if it's really going to be worth it when it's all said and done. So uh, if you missed any of those conversations, you can grab a podcast of this program wherever you get a podcast. Just search for the BFT, the Bald Face Truth, John Canzano, any of that will get you this show. Go ahead and uh, leave a, a review or a like while you're at it. Helps other people find the program as well. Uh, we'll go ahead and give you a live segment here. Of course, uh, coming up later in the show, in this final hour, we've got the Shans, Bill Shawnley, reading the Polar Express the night before Christmas. I love me some Rip City Christmas. We used to have a, a huge stack of those CDs hanging out here at the station. I have one somewhere. There's nothing better than Bill Shawnley's voice. You know, I can still just imagine uh, being a kid, got the clock radio and even my little uh, handheld radio with headphones, laying in bed, listening to him call Blazer games in the the late 80s, the mid 80s, even like, well, no late 80s uh, into the 90s. Those great, great teams. Of course, uh, you know, Damian Lillard just passed Clyde Drexler as the all time leading scorer. I was listening to Clyde rack up a lot of those points while Bill Shawnley was on the call laying in bed. My parents knew it's one of those things. I was supposed to be going to bed, you know, on a West coast game, listening to the fourth quarter. Uh, and I, I loved listening to the, uh, the post game as well. Uh, back in the day, it was just fun stuff. And, uh, we talked about it earlier, Steven. I just have that visceral response when I hear, uh, Bill Shonley's voice, even today. Yeah. I've never heard Bill Shonley do the reading. So I'm really excited to hear it. And I feel like I'm in for a treat. And the thing about Bill Shonley is, you know, for people around here in Portland, like everybody knows about him, right? Like even like my mom who does not care about sports, like she knows who Bill Shonley is because the Blazers were so popular back in the nineties at that time. Like 
I mean, he's such a just a larger than life person, and that voice, man, just boom. So I'm really excited to hear this. Yeah, so we'll bring that to you this hour, and we'll give you a segment from a few weeks ago as well. We had some fun. Stephen Vaughn, the focal point in that segment, he was a he was a, a wise man, and he was dishing out advice as quickly as we could feed him questions. And we had a lot of fun there, so we'll play that back for you. But in the meantime, right now, we're going to give you the five biggest things going on in sports. We do it every day. This is the Five at five. The five at five. Brought to you by Mercedes Benz of Wilsonville. See more than 4,000 vehicles at swickert.com. First up in the five at five, Portland Trailblazers are in action tonight, and Chauncey Billups says Justice Winslow does not have a timetable yet for return from an ankle injury that he suffered against the Oklahoma City Thunder. Uh, He stepped on uh, Kenrick Williams' foot, rolled his ankle. We don't know when he's going to be back. He's on crutches, and that's not good for a Trailblazers team that looked like they had righted the ship, and then they honestly, they played a couple uh, not-so-strong games in Oklahoma City. They dropped two of two down there. Those are very winnable games. We did warn you on this very show that uh, game one, that was a trap game. I'm not surprised that they coughed it up. But then to go out and lose again, that's a little troubling. Oklahoma City, they do have a star. They can get after it. Nurkic was out for game one. Okay, I can I can see that. But you got to bounce back. They struggled to do that. Now, Stephen, Portland Trail Blazers and fans not happy with the officiating. Shea Gilgis-Alexander shot more free throws in the first half than the Blazers did as a team. And depending on how you slice it, well, the Blazers shot a lot more threes, so they didn't get the calls. But then you have people showing that they both, the teams went to the rim at an equal rate. Uh, Blazers only nine free throws in that game. We were talking about tonight's game against uh, the Denver Nuggets. Denver, what's the spread on that? Four and a half? Four and a half, yeah. Yeah, so you think uh, Denver, I mean, you might expect them to cover that. But I told you, don't be surprised if the Blazers get the benefit of the whistle tonight. Yeah, Shea Gilders, Alexander, 27 free throws in those two games. And, uh, you know, fans and players both were vocal about just the non-opportunities at the free throw line. So I, I think you made a great point that the Blazers may get some calls today because, you know, four and a half, that number seems really small considering Denver's at home. They uh, haven't played since Tuesday when they were at home as well. But I am interested to see if Dame gets some calls tonight, if he gets in the free throw line double digits. It, it, that could happen tonight. Yeah, I guess the Blazers had a rough flight into Denver too the other day. I guess it was quite bumpy. Uh, but hopefully they can step up, they can meet the challenge, and they can uh, play a great game against Denver. Second on our 5 at 5. I almost just called it the 2 at 2. <laughs> That's That goes back a few months, doesn't it? Uh, Anthony Davis of the Lakers, well, he's dealing with that stress injury in his right foot and uh, there is a possibility of resuming play after another 7 to 10 days of rest that is according to Adrian Wojnarowski Uh, remains to be seen but it's troubling if you're the Lakers that Anthony Davis and there's a reason he's called Anthony Street Clothes Davis Anthony Day 2 Davis but uh, you know the Lakers seem to be kind of riding the ship they were not going to be expected to you know contend for a Western Conference Championship or anything like that but they were playing a lot better and it was behind the play 
of Anthony Davis. Uh, he was averaging 27 points, shooting almost 60% from the floor, 12 rebounds, almost three assists, two blocks a game. He was playing his best season in quite, like in a couple years. I mean, basically, he's played since the bubble. And, you know, it's a lot better than, uh, you know, it almost looked like he was washed up. And you go, man, it's kind of a shame when, an, when a superstar peaks at 26. You know what I mean? So, I mean, I'm a Blazers fan, so the obligatory screw the Lakers. But as a basketball fan, I was glad to see Anthony Davis playing well again. But I also knew that at some point, Davis was going to get hurt. I'm not rooting for it. But it's what he does, man. He just can't play a full NBA season. He's proven that. Anthony Davis, the foot. And I'll be honest, Steven, I'm not confident he's going to be back in 10 days. No, I mean, I think it's I think it's crazy to think, hey, yeah, he's going to be back in early January like they're reporting. But the one time he stayed healthy was the bubble season because they took that break off because of COVID and he came back healthy. It, it just sucks because Anthony Davis, you know, like you said, it. He has been really good this season, and he's proven when he's healthy he is a top 10 player in the NBA, but just can't stay healthy, man. Just It's too bad because you know he is a Hall of Fame talent that just cannot stay healthy. Yeah, it's true. Third thing, five at five, also from Woj. By the way, can I point out that Woj did PR on this story, and in exchange he was allowed to break the Anthony Davis news 33 minutes later? Um, can I just point that out, the obvious? We all know it. So, Adrian Wojnarowski talks between the Hornets and Miles Bridges are gaining traction. And as what Adrian Wojnarowski referred to as his role in a domestic violence case. I can tell you what his role is, man. But, you know, you do that favor for Rich Paul and then you get the AD news and you get to break it 30 minutes later. Cool. Keep keep uh, brokering scoops. Anyway. The Charlotte Hornets and restricted free agent forward Miles Bridges are gathering traction in talks on a new deal. And uh, I'm there's a good chance that an agreement can come in the near future. Now, here's the deal. As soon as he uh, comes to an agreement and he signs that deal, he can start serving the suspension that's going to be handed down for what Woj calls his role in an off-season domestic violence case. I've seen the photos. I know what the role was, man. Bridges was accused of assaulting his then-girlfriend in front of their two children this June. He pleaded no contest to a felony charge in November. He received a sentence of three years of probation, no jail time. Now, if you remember... Miles Bridges had a big season last year, averaged 20 points a game, and he was supposed to get a huge contract. We're talking a $100 million contract, whether it was directly with Charlotte or signing an offer sheet, which then the Hornets were going to match. Uh, It did not happen due to his alleged actions off the court. So I'm really curious, A, why the Hornets are even signing this guy and what the dollar figure is going to be and then see what is the suspension that's going to get handed down. Now, that being said, there is a uh, a, uh, relatively recent case, domestic violence, by the way, also in Charlotte. I don't know what's going on there, but uh, Jeffrey Taylor in 2014 
pleaded guilty to a charge of domestic violence assault. He was suspended for 24 games. Steven, this whole thing is just gross. It's gross, man. That's the way I was going to describe it. It's just gross. And no matter what he gets in that contract from the Hornets, it's too much. Because, you know, based on what that guy did, I would love to see him not in the NBA. But he's 23, 24 years 24. old. 24 years old, averaged 20 points a game, and is six foot seven, can play on the wing. So teams are going to want him. Well, I, I mean, that's just how it goes. We see it all the time in sports. Man, th- the way the reporting went down on this, too, it's so transparent exactly how it went down. That kind of rubs me the wrong way. And I admit, I'm not a journalist. I'm an entertainer. I'm not a sports journalist. But that's gross, too. It's it's obvious. It's obvious. All right. Fourth thing. Five at five. New York Jets wide receiver coach Miles Austin is being suspended for at least a year for violating the NFL's gambling policy. The league issued a statement today confirming he's been suspended. He is appealing. And the statement says the league will have no comment until that appeal has been resolved. So uh, Austin must serve any suspension before applying for reinstatement. Apparently, the NFL has been investigating him for a while. It found out he'd been gambling on sports, but not on NFL games or college football, uh, but that does violate the NFL personnel gambling policy. And we saw it in Atlanta. Was that earlier this year? That wasn't last year. It was earlier this year. Calvin Ridley, uh, same deal. He had been uh, gambling. Now, that was on NFL, but not Falcons games, anything like that, if I recall correctly. I think you're right. He also was inactive on those games. Um, I don't remember the exact details. Yeah, he he was inactive, and he wasn't betting on his team. And it was like tiny. It was like small amounts of money. Wasn't it like 10 bucks and he's things all, like and that? And now he's also on the Jags. He got traded. Right, right, right. But, uh, but he was with the Falcons when yes. that happened. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. This is one of those situations where, I mean, if you're going to take money from DraftKings – like billions of dollars and advertise it and promote it as part of your sport. I get why you don't allow gambling. I like, I get it. But also like if you're not even gambling on football or college football, like what is he betting on the Brooklyn Nets? Is he betting on the Warriors to not be down 40 at halftime again in their next game? Like I personally don't really see a problem with that. If you're not betting on the sport that you're involved in, I'm kind of with you. I don't, I mean, I guess it's a it's a tricky line because you can't have any of it. But what? Yeah, if you're betting on the NBA, you work for the NFL. Like you're not getting inside information. Well, yeah, like and if you're not taking a several billion dollars from DraftKings and just airing that stuff during every commercial break and running it on a scroller during your games, I can understand the yeah. You, we have a zero tolerance policy for gambling. But you are sort of implying that gambling is okay there. You, you, It's not even implied. It's sort of explicit. That's the four or five we do it every day on this show. Uh, but it's, I don't know. I just don't. It, it, something about that doesn't sit right with me, man. It really doesn't. Yeah, I, I'm kind of with you, but I, I don't know how to feel about it because I, I, I they have to be very you know strict and structured on the whole gambling thing now that it is so relevant in all of sports. 
But at the same time, like you said, like it has nothing to do with his sport. So like, is he not allowed to have fun? Like, where does it draw the line? Can he go to a casino right. and gamble, just you know, gamble on a game there, or can he go to a casino and play blackjack? Like, what is the difference? You can play blackjack on your phone on some of these sites. So like, can he do that? Like, it's just it's a weird. They got to come up with some some real structured lines, and I think they'll be okay. Yeah, more details to come on this shortly, I imagine. But yeah, definitely was a surprise. Uh, definitely caught me off guard. Uh, Miles Austin, the New York Jets wide receiver coach, suspended for at least one year for violating the NFL's gambling policy. All right, we'll go away, come back on the other side. Let's hear from some Bill Shonley, shall we? Bill Shonley, every Christmas, I love to crack this out. He reads the Polar Express. We also have the night before Christmas, I think, on this wintry day. It's a perfect day to do that. Bill Shonley coming up next. This is the best of the Bald Face Truth. You're listening to the best of the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Welcome back in. Peter Sampson, Stephen Vaughn. This is the best of the bald Face truth on the BFT Radio Network. Final show before Christmas. Tomorrow is Christmas Eve. Sunday is Christmas. I'm very excited. We decorated Christmas cookies last night. Got everything we need under the tree. We are all set. I hope you are as well. And I hope you have a fantastic holiday, whatever that means to you, whether that's a ton of family, whether that's just a quiet, you know, day at home with just the people that mean the most to you. I hope you get it. But always this time of year, I got to hear the Sean's Bill Shawnley, Rip City Christmas. Uh, the night before Christmas, of course, is always a favorite. And personally, I love the Polar Express. I really, really enjoy that story. Uh, they made an animated movie about it. Was that it's probably like 16, 17 years old now? Yeah. Yeah, I know my wife really likes that. Yeah, I, I, I know it's not rated super highly. I loved that movie. Uh, I need to share that with my kiddo. He's never seen it. Yeah, but yeah it's good stuff. But we've got Bill Shonley reading the Polar Express if you're at home. Maybe drinking something warm. Sit back and enjoy. Listen to the mayor of Rip City. This is the best of the BFT. On Christmas Eve, many years ago, I lay quietly in my bed. I did not rustle the sheets. I breathed slowly and silently. I was listening for a sound. A sound that a friend had told me that I would never hear. The ringing bells of Santa's sleigh. There is no Santa, my friend had insisted. But I knew he was wrong. Late that night, I did hear sounds, though not of ringing bells. From outside came the sounds of hissing steam and squeaking metal. I looked through my window, and I saw a train. Yes, a train standing perfectly still right in front of my house. It was wrapped in an apron of steam. Snowflakes fell lightly around it. A conductor stood at the open door of one of the cars. He took a large pocket watch from his vest. Then he looked up at my window. I put on my slippers and robe, and I tiptoed downstairs and out the door. I ran up to him 
Well, you coming? He said. Where? I asked. Why, to the North Pole, of course! That was his answer. This is the Polar Express! I took his outstretched hand, and he pulled me aboard. The train was filled with other children, all in their pajamas and nightgowns. We sang Christmas carols and ate candies, some as white as snow. We drank hot cocoa as thick and rich as melted chocolate bars. And outside, the lights of towns and the villages flickered in the distance as the Polar Express raced northward. Soon there were no more lights to be seen. We traveled through cold, dark forests where lean wolves roamed and white-tailed rabbits hid from our train as it thundered through the quiet wilderness. We climbed mountains so high, it seemed as if we would scrape the moon. But the Polar Express never slowed down. Faster and faster we ran along, rolling over peaks and through valleys like a car on a roller coaster. The mountains turned into hills, the hills to snow-covered plains. We crossed a barren desert of ice, the great polar ice cap. Lights appeared in the distance. They looked like the lights of a strange ocean liner sailing on a frozen sea. There, said the conductor, is the North Pole. The North Pole, well, it was a huge city standing alone at the top of the world and filled with factories where every Christmas toy was made. At first, we saw no elves. They are gathering at the center of the city, the conductor told us. That is where Santa will give the first gift of Christmas. Who receives the first gift, we all asked. The conductor answered, he will choose one of you. Look, shouted one of the children, the elves. Outside, we saw hundreds and hundreds of elves as our train drew closer to the center of the North Pole. We slowed to a crawl, so crowded were the streets with Santa's helpers. When the Polar Express could go no farther, we stopped, and the conductor led us outside. We pressed through the crowd to the edge of a large open circle. In front of us stood Santa's sleigh. The reindeer were excited. They pranced and paced, ringing the silver sleigh bells that hung from their harnesses. It was a magical sound, like nothing I'd ever heard before. Across the circle, the elves moved apart, and Santa Claus appeared. The elves, they cheered wildly. He marched right over to us and pointing to me said, let's have this fellow here. He jumped into a sleigh. The conductor handed me up, sat on Santa's knee, and he asked, now, what would you like for Christmas? I knew that I could have any gift that I could imagine, 
But the thing I wanted most for Christmas was not inside of Santa's giant bag. What I wanted more than anything was one silver bell from Santa's sleigh. When I asked Santa, he smiled. Then he gave me a hug and told an elf to cut a bell from a reindeer's harness. The elf tossed it up to Santa. He stood, holding the bell high above him, and called out, The first gift of Christmas! A clock struck midnight as the elves roared their approval. Santa handed the bell to me, and I put it in my bathrobe pocket. The conductor helped me down from the sleigh, and Santa shouted out the reindeer's names, and he cracked his whip. His team charged forward and climbed into the air, and Santa circled once above us, and they disappeared in the cold, dark, polar sky. As soon as we were back inside the Polar Express, the other children asked to see the bell. I reached into my pocket, but the only thing I felt was a hole. I had lost, I had lost the silver bell from Santa Claus's sleigh. Let's hurry outside and look for it, one of the children said. But the train gave a sudden lurch and we started to move. We were on our way home. It broke my heart to lose the bell. And when the train reached my house, I sadly left the other children. I stood at my doorway and waved goodbye. The conductor said something from the moving train, but I couldn't hear him. What? I yelled out. He cupped his hands around his mouth and loudly, The Polar Express let out a loud blast from its whistle and sped away. On Christmas morning, my little sister Sarah and I opened our presents. When it looked as if everything had been unwrapped, Sarah found one last small box behind the tree. It had my name on it. Inside was that silver bell, and there was a note. Found this on the seat of my sleigh. You better fix that hole in your pocket. Signed, Mr. C. I shook the bell. It made the most beautiful sound my sister and I had ever heard. But my mother said, Oh, that's too bad. Yes said my father. It's broken. When I'd shaken the bell, my parents had not heard a sound. At one time, most of my friends could hear the bell, but as years passed, it fell silent for all of them. Even Sarah found one Christmas that she could no longer hear its sweet sound Though I've grown old, that bell still rings for me as it does for all 
who truly believe. There it is. Yes, sir. Bill Shawnley reading the Polar Express, a personal favorite of mine. I'll tell you, though, Stephen Vaughn, Bill Shawnley with a nice, bright plate reverb. I could listen to him read the phone book, if I'm being honest. Dude, it, it just hits different. As soon as it started, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is it. This is it. <laughs> exactly. We've got more Bill Shawnley holiday readings later in the program. He'll read The Night Before Christmas. Uh, but coming up next, we're, we're going to feature Stephen Vaughn a little bit. We had a fun segment just a couple weeks ago, December 6th. Sometimes you can tell you're doing some best of ish as you're doing it and that was one of those segments i got to be a part of that one so we're, we're going to go ahead and revisit when steven became a wise man of course if you're in portland leave it here i'm coming up with the pulse from six to seven o'clock it's a friday i want to know what's in your glass no excuses today you should be at home already i'm hoping you didn't have to go into work you're listening to this program go ahead and pop a beverage adult or otherwise Take a photo, send it to me on Twitter, at Peter Sampson, and let's celebrate the approach of Christmas weekend together. All right, more of the best of the bald-faced truth coming up on the BFT Radio Network. You're listening to the best of the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Welcome back in. Best of the bald face truth. I'm Peter Sampson. He's Stephen Vaughn. It's Friday. It's Christmas Eve Eve. Hope you're having a great day. Hope you stayed warm. Hope you stayed dry. Hope you stayed safe. It's definitely cold out there. Looking forward to it warming up. Uh, I did mention Stephen Vaughn with me. We had some fun just a couple weeks ago, uh, enough that we wanted to throw this in here. This is from December 6th. So we're talking two weeks, two and a half weeks ago. It was a great segment. I don't even remember how it came up. I guess we'll get it here in this uh, in this uh, recorded segment. But I do remember, Stephen, you had the answer to all of life's questions. It's, all of them. It started because of you. You you actually started it. John okay. makes a point. I say something. You say, you know what, Stephen, you're being really wise today. That's okay. how it started. So I, I'm okay. going to give credit to you there. Well, it just goes to, sh- to show. I just, you know, spout that stuff off. I don't even know what I'm saying. Content like, creator. Yeah, I'll be honest. I'm barely even here right now, bro. <laughs> but uh, let's go ahead and listen to that. Steven, the wise man from December 6th. This is the best of the BFT. I'm wondering if uh, University of Washington and Oregon State's athletic directors are happy about this. Because on one hand, they have the coach of the year. On the other hand, both coaches had $25,000 bonuses in their contracts. Both bonuses will be paid. <laughs> so there's money that is being paid here. And I don't know, Jen Cohen, the AD at Washington, is going, you know what, I would have been okay being second. We just gave him a million-dollar raise. But it's twenty-five k. Well, being yeah. second would be even better because you can complain, complain that the conference got it wrong and you don't owe money. Yes. Like, that's, that's the, the way, way to go, around. yeah. They it's like the, it's the go. backup quarterback situation. So the is the real defeated. winner Utah? Is that the real winner? Like, because Kyle Whittingham was third in the voting. Definitely. It, so Utah wins again. All the all the fans get mad because they won the conference and their coach yeah. isn't even considered. Steven, Our you're full of win. wisdom today, man. He is I don't know. spitting things. I don't know what's wrong let's, with me today. Let's pep, let's he just pep, looks at it from a different prism. That's all. I let's like it. pepper Steven with a bunch of questions because okay. he's he's like the Sphinx today. Yeah, okay. bring it on. Okay. I'll start. Uh, beach, beach or mountains? Uh, I'm a beach guy. 
Mountains, uh, it's a little cold for me, even though the beach is cold as well, but uh, the kids like to play in the sand, so I can just let them go play and I can relax. All right, I have one. Uh, giving your spouse a Christmas present, what kind of stipulations should people uh, take on when you're buying for your significant other? Is it different if you're brand new newlyweds versus maybe been married 10 or 15 years? Help us out, Stephen. Yes, lots of differences. Uh, I've been married for 10 years, and we really buy each other, you know, the uh, the stocking stuffers. It's all we really do. We don't buy actual gifts for one another. We will say, you know, like, if you want something, just buy it and say it's for Christmas. Where back in the day, back in the day, like, when you're dating or you're just, just engaged or just married, yeah, you go out and you buy a cool present. You go, you buy, buy her something that she wants. But as you get older, you have kids, like, just keep it short and simple and then buy more stuff for the kids. Is there a price limit on said item? Like, what if that item's like $1,000 and you're like, I'm just going to get myself that That's for thing. Christmas. Merry Christmas to me. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, do what you want. You do you. He's <laughs> just saying you do you. All right. I like what he's spitting. Peter, you got a question for the Sphinx. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, assuming I've hit the 18.5K max on my 401K for the year, should I go with a traditional IRA or should I go with a Roth for the pre-tax benefits? Well, it's a Roth for sure. I mean, have you ever heard? Of, I mean, only an idiot would do the IRA. I mean, what are we doing here? <laughs> I'm going to go do that right now. Thank you. Steven, is it okay for a grown man to wear a jersey of their favorite sports team? Um... Yes, because I wear jerseys, but I do them more as like a joke jersey. Like I don't have any jerseys that I really love with players, but I have jerseys of uh, like a Grand Canyon University, Dan Marley, uh, Jimmer Fredette, Brandon Roy on the Timberwolves. So I think it's okay to wear jerseys. I think it's fun to support the teams. What is the um, acceptable number of times a year that a woman should go get a, a mani-pedi? Uh, I mean, as much as they want, right? You got to make them feel feel good about themselves. I think confidence is the number one thing for me, attractiveness wise. For a woman, you got to be confident, and so you know, I want my wife to feel confident. So if that makes her feel good about herself, it's going to make her more attractive than me. So uh, I want that. Stephen, what is your favorite sandwich, and where did you eat it? Oh, um, there is a place in Vegas at the New York New York Casino Hotel, Greenberg's Deli, I believe. It's called the Italian Stallion. <laughs> Give me that all day. <laughs> that was a show I saw too, but oh, this segment could work. We could just go ask Steven. No, it could be Steven, help him out. That's what it could be. <laughs> Steven, <laughs> help help the people out. Bring it on. I'm ready to go. <laughs> Do you have a question for the Sphinx? 503-417-7575. Because I could do this all day. Yeah. Do you have a question for the Sphinx, Anna? Um, yeah, electric razor or, like, regular oh. uh, non-electric razor? Oh, electric. I uh, I was never straight taught edge. how to do it with, like, the shaving cream or anything, so I just go electric straight to the face. Easier that way. Stephen, are there foods that we should never share with anyone else, even if they're the, your significant other? Like share, like uh, like what? soup, cereal. You know, like it's okay. Ice to, cream. You have, you have yeah. a bite of this, a bite of that. But can Anna just break in and like slurp up some soup out of my bowl, or is that a that a faux pas? That's disgusting. No, you can't, you can't do that. I mean, it has to be like it has to be like a solid, right? Like if it's like a, a bowl of chips or something, or like popcorn. Yeah, sure, you can share that. But anything after liquid, no, that's that's disgusting, and uh, I don't want to share that. It, is it more impressive to live your life as a good person or to have in the past not maybe been the best person but overcome that to become a good person with great effort? Ooh, uh, I think it's uh, more impressive to be a bad person turned into a good person. 
Because I think change is the hardest thing for people in general. And so if you mm. were once a bad person, to actually change and become a good part of society, I think that's way more tougher than just be good at all times. Because you know, we see people who are good, but they don't necessarily provide anything. Where when you're bad, you learn from your mistakes and you grow. Mm. Um, Stephen, yeah. why do dog owners begin to look like their dogs over time? <laughs> or do you think that starts at inception? Like when they adopt the dog, they are attracted to dogs that look like them. Yeah, I think it's the, the latter there. I think they are attracted to the dogs because they kind of look like them because then it's more of a family dynamic, you know, because sometimes people don't have kids or whatever, don't have a significant other. So they go with the dog and then they can say, well, look at this, you know, basically my kid, um, me as not a dog owner, not a dog guy, uh, I would never have a dog. So that's, it's a little bit out of my comfort zone here, but I would say it's just cause they're more attracted to themselves. Let's say I'm at the supermarket or I'm at the movie theater and I need to pick a line. What kind of wisdom do you give people in how to pick the line that moves the fastest? It depends. So at me at Costco, I could tell you at the Clackamas Costco, who exactly to go to. <laughs> There are so many different cashiers, and some are really good, some are really bad. Now, what I will... Carlos. Carlos is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, Matt. Matt is the fastest by far. He's a no... Matt. Matt. No nonsense, all business type of guy. Uh, So go to him. Mm -hmm. I think for a general... There's the Russian lady, too. She's like a bodybuilder. Yeah. She's fast. You want to find the people that don't look friendly, right? Because I think that's where the problem is, is when you find friendly people, they talk to you, and they talk to all their customers... But the other people that are serious about their job, they get the job done way faster. So find those type of people, and you're going to fly through the lines. When picking a sports team, because some kids get to pick what team they're going to be a fan of, they don't have a parent telling them or grandparents who have been there forever, what criteria would you advise, you know, maybe like a 8- or 10-year-old kid to use when they're selecting the team that they're going to root for for life? you got to choose somebody with a really good player on it. And the reason I say that is because my friend, he's a Jacksonville Jaguars fan, and he is miserable every single season because they are terrible. So I would never advise to be like, you know, you choose the worst team because you're not going to be happy. You can even say that with the Blazers. Like, they're fine because they got a good player in Damian Lillard, so they're always going to be somewhat relevant. Or if you choose the Sacramento Kings, like, they're going to suck every year. It's going to hurt you. So you got to choose first criteria, find a really good player on the team, and then choose that team. Mm-hmm. Great advice. Anna's got the last question in this Stephen Help Him Out segment. Uh, is it appropriate for uh, children to open a gift on Christmas Eve, or do you make them all like wait all the way till Christmas Day? Well, if if you're just doing, if that's like your tradition, I think that's okay to open one. But that's not my tradition. My tradition is you're opening them on Christmas Day because we do stuff on Christmas Eve with the wife's family. So when we get home, like, you've already opened presents. You don't need to open another one. Christmas Day is about, you know, Santa coming and Christmas being there, presents. You open them on Christmas Day. If it's Christmas Eve, that's fine, but that's a different, that's a different question. There it is. Stephen, help them out. We'll do this every once in a blue moon. That was some excellent advice from my man Stephen Vaughn. I'm Peter Sampson. This is the best of the bald-faced truth on the BFT Radio Network. One final segment to go, and of course, part of it, we're going to give you Bill Shonley reading The Night Before Christmas. We'll uh, cap off the uh, Christmas week of Best of Editions with that. Uh, but also, before we do that, on the other side, some uh, some potential uh, Beavers news coming in that might be big. I'll share that with you next. This is the best of the BFT.
You're listening to the best of the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 7:50, The Game. Some news. Former Clemson quarterback DJ Yogalele is expected to commit to Oregon State. That's from Pete Thamel, an announcement expected in the coming days. That's news. You heard it here first. That just came out, so look for that. But look, we only have a little bit of time left on the best of the BFT. No show on Monday. John returns Tuesday, the 27th. And let's uh, let's close you out with a little bit of the mayor of Rip City, Bill Shawnley. Reading The Night Before Christmas. It was the night before Christmas when all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. Those stockings, those stockings were hung by the chimney with care in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. Those children, they were all nestled all snug in their beds while visions of sugar plums danced in their heads. And Mama, in her kerchief, and I in my cap, we had just settled down for a long winter's nap. When out on the lawn there arose such a clatter, I sprang from the bed to see what was the matter. Away to the window I flew like a flash, tore open the shutters, and threw up the sash. The moon, the beautiful moon on the breast of the new-fallen snow gave the luster of midday to objects below. When what to my wondering eyes should appear but a miniature sleigh and eight tiny reindeer. With a little old driver so lively and quick, I knew in a moment that it must be St. Nick. More rapid than eagles, his coursers there came, and he whistled and shouted, and he called them by name. Now Dasher, now Dancer, now Prancer and Vixen. Come on, Comet, come on, Cupid, Donder and Blitzen. To the top of the porch, to the top of the wall. Now dash away, dash away, dash away all. As dry leaves that before the wild hurricane fly, when they meet with an obstacle, they mount to the sky. So up to the housetop, the coursers they flew, with the sleigh full of toys, and St. Nicholas too. And then... In a twinkling, I heard on the roof the prancing and the pawing of each little hoof. As I drew in my head and was turning around, down the chimney, St. Nicholas came with a bound. He was dressed all in fur from his head to his foot, and his clothes, they were all tarnished with ashes and soot. A bundle of toys he had flung on his back, and he looked like a peddler just opening his pack. His eyes, all his eyes, how they twinkled, his dimples how merry. His cheeks were like roses, his nose like a cherry. His droll little mouth 
was drawn up like a bow, and the beard of his chin was as white as the snow. The stump of a pipe he held tight in his teeth, and the smoke, it encircled his head like a wreath. He had a broad face and a little round belly that shook when he laughed just like a bowl full of jelly. He was chub and plump, a right jolly old elf, and I laughed when I saw him in spite of myself. A wink of his eye and a twist of his head soon gave me to know I had nothing to dread. He spoke not a word, but went straight to his work and filled all of the stockings and then he turned with a jerk and laying his finger aside of his nose and giving a nod up the chimney he rose he sprang to his sleigh to his team he gave a whistle and away they all flew like the down of a thistle but i heard him exclaim as he drove out of sight Merry Christmas to all, and to all a good night. Merry Christmas to all. That's going to do it for us. Appreciate you listening across the state. If you're in Portland, leave it here. I'm coming back with the Pulse. DJ Yogalele to the Beavs. Pete Thamel says yes. Have a merry, merry Christmas.